want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, it's It's been a weird week. Ran a half marathon, pulled an all-nighter, uh, and then finished the rest of my schoolwork in the span of, I think, 72 hours. So so you're still alive. That's impressive. It's it's champ time is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Cheers. Um, now, uh, for, for inquiring minds... Uh, what, what's our ETA? I say our, what's your ETA on the marathon? How are you feeling about that? <laughs> I'm so boned. Um, I have <laughs> five, basically I have the next few weeks to get up to 18 or 20 miles. Um, that would be ideal. And then to start ramping down after that. So I've downgraded my goal from, uh, my original time goal, which was, I'm sure ridiculous. It, yes. To, I can testify it was. <laughs> to my then more reasonable time goal. Uh, to my, because my training got demolished for reasons that are boring and not important. My new goal is to not die and, and primary goal, not die. Secondary goal, finish the marathon. (laughs) Uh, There's no more time goal other than the day of the marathon. That, that is good. No, the first marathon I did, uh, my goal was to not walk other than water stations. Um, so I don't know if you, that's, that's impressive, which is, I, I achieved that. Uh, and I was just yelling at myself inside my head for mile 21, not 20, through 26. Most of that Damn. time was me yelling at myself and saying, if you walk now, it's all been for nothing. So if, uh, how much, how much did effective. you let yourself walk at water stations? Like how long? Um, until I drank the water. <laughs> and then I, when I, as soon as I was from, from when like I needed to slow down so they could hand the water to me. Not a lot. I'm very slow. Um, through when I finished the water, I could walk or the goo, and then I had to run again. Right. Um, so yeah, I think you know, based on my experience and how I was feeling, uh, you know, in the last couple um, training like long runs before my marathon, I like that. I think that we might be surprised that might be kind of doable for you. But mostly, I think your your goals of don't die and finish are very, very good. Those are the goals one should have when they do their first marathon, especially you've never, you've done a half marathon now twice ever. So these are good (laughs) goals, Simon. These are healthy goals. Yes. Uh, I should also mention that I felt pretty good about the second half because it, it, I did it with um, my, the the same shoes I've been using since August and no water. So I feel like with water and better shoes, (laughs) and, and I wish you could all see the, the face Kate just made. She's she was not happy with my decision to do that. No, you need to drink water. You're gonna. Oh my. Mm. I'll have, there'll be water at the marathon. No, you just you just not how. Oh my god, listeners, <laughs> we're gonna need to move on because my head is gonna just explode out of frustration with Simon here. You need anyway. goose or some sort of you know Gatorade. You need ah. You need to refuel or you're gonna kill yourself. Yeah. You're gonna fail one of your goals. Okay. Um, Fair this... enough. And then you'll be out of out of co-host, and it'll and be then very I'm screwed. upsetting. What I was, like, 
I, 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 I require you to be alive so that we can continue the podcast, sir. Um, we're going to keep this opening segment here short because there's a lot to talk about this week on the podcast. We have a pilot as well as uh, at least one significant finale here. We got Justified, obviously, we're going to be talking about this week um, and some other really eventful television, really notable television. So uh, we're going to keep this very short here. At the end of the podcast, we're talking with Kyle Anderson of Nerdist and WTF Are You Watching and many other things. Uh, about season one of Daredevil, which was a lot of fun. Um, so that'll be coming, like I said, at the end. But now we're just going to go straight on. We're not even going to talk about the ridiculousness of Michelle McLaren not being trusted as an action director. And we're going to go to our week in comedy. So uh, we'll be right back after this. Milk, milk, lemonade. Milk, milk, lemonade. Milk, milk, lemonade. Round the corner, fudge is made. That is Milk Milk Lemonade, which is the, oh, at least the, that's the opening of Milk Milk Lemonade, which is the first sketch in the Amy Schumer season three premiere. And uh, the people at Amy Schumer and Comedy Central put that out last week. I think it's been kicking around uh, Facebook and YouTube for at least a week. So if you guys uh, haven't yet watched the season premiere, because of when this is coming out, you may have already watched it. Uh, but if you haven't and you are intrigued, you can go watch that music video, that sketch, uh, already before you check out the rest of the season. But this week we'll be looking at giving a preview of Amy Schumer season three, as well as, of course, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 18, Louis a la carte, Adventure Time, Friends Forever, Silicon Valley, Runaway Devaluation, and we'll round things out with Veep East Wing. Lots of good comedy to talk about here this week. But first, let's kick things off with a look at season three of Inside Amy Schumer. We've seen the first three episodes. Simon, my experience watching these episodes, um, I watched the first, the premiere. I had seen one of the, the opening sketches. It's kind of been going around Facebook. This is the Milk Milk Lemonade sketch or music video. Um, so I was prepared for that. I was not prepared for the second sketch in this in the premiere, which is fantastic. Features a recurring guest star on the show, on Insane Machine that we both really enjoyed last season. Um, and I was ready to just be in my happy place because of that sketch. The second sketch in the premiere. And then I got to episode three, which exploded my brain and I love it. And it's, it's in conversation with Charlie work as one of the best comedy episodes of the year. As far as I'm concerned so far, my trouble here is part of the fun of both of these standouts for me is the, the joy of discovery that comes with them. Right. So we will say nothing. Yeah. I don't know how much, if anything, I can say about this upcoming season of Inside Amy Schumer. Besides, I liked the premiere a lot. I I liked the second episode, but not quite so much as I liked the premiere. And I loved the third episode. Do you feel confident saying yeah. anything like beyond that? I'll say a few things. I was sort of expecting this to be an uh, uh, maybe an afterthought season, to be honest, because I assumed that because she'd spent time uh, writing and starring in Trainwreck, the new Judd Apatow film, uh, that she wouldn't have had time to, to craft a, a, a good season. And, and last season uh, had some great stuff, but was really spotty, uh, especially in the back half of the season, as I remember it. Um, these few episodes, though, I think uh, are the most consistent the show's ever been. 
And I mean, it helps that that third episode is one sketch for the majority of its runtime. I think we can say that. Um, and also interesting that there's a, there's a lot of sketches that uh, Schumer isn't in and yeah. or is, is in less, which is an interesting move for a show that is, is named for her. Although we, we do meet the head writer at one point who is not Amy Schumer, which I found interesting. Um, the I will say that the the interview segments remain sort of the weak point of the show. Uh, they they just aren't good enough. And in particular, the one in the premiere uh, is kind of a misfire, I think. Uh I just thought it was weak sauce. You'll you'll know what I mean when you see it. Uh, but that being said, the the highs are ridiculously high. Um, there is at least one great sketch in each episode, and I mean great, like a like fantastic. There's a, a music video in the second episode that I thought was that that when it started, I, I wasn't sure about it, but by the time it gets to the midway, the the pivot point of that video uh, is just stellar. Um, but yeah, you're right. That it's that second sketch in that first episode that if you have any experience watching television, <laughs> that's if, all I if you're say listening about that. to this podcast, you probably have a similar sensibility to us, at least, and similar uh, taste in in television and in cinema, theoretically, as like the background that we both have. We're both big uh, cinephiles as well. And what I appreciate, what I feel like I can say. Is that there is there are a lot of homages to other series and other films in these episodes, um, smaller touches to to you know very direct, like shot for shot kind of things um, in in both the first and the third episode, and uh, it's really great to see the show and see Amy Schumer playing with form, like you said, taking a step back, getting more you know like the third episode she's one of the writers and one of the she co-directs it as well to see her confident uh and happy to to step back a bit and you know and, and focus less on making sure she's in it but just making sure that um sort of like with Louie where he's very happy to to let the guest stars shine and so in mm -hmm. in that second episode uh she's very much a supporting player amy schumer is very much a supporting player in the the episode she's you know she features significantly in in that episode but the funny lines all go to other people and so it's, i think that's um in these episodes i really like the way that she spreads the time between these other characters or these other bits and um the confidence that that these episodes have it really feels like the show is growing into a more interesting version of itself yeah and I, I i'll be curious to see when that first episode airs if that sketch we love so much restarts an old debate um, <laughs> and that's again all i'm gonna say about that yeah i just i mean and again for somebody like me i love the specificity of it if they're when they do an homage when they do uh a parody they go all out. Like you could compare, talk about the um, the food room parody that we got last season. Yes, that felt like a hundred. That felt straight up Sorkin, down to the scoring, down to every little detail. I love that level of commitment. Yeah, there are there are sketches in these first three episodes that I think are better than the food room. That's a, that. That's about the highest praise I that's can give. That's Gauntlet right there. Down. Yeah. So we're very excited <laughs> about Inside Amy Schumer. When as soon as I finished these. I just hopped on to Facebook and just started bothering you. You were in the middle of writing your Louie review, and I was just like, so you gonna, you gonna watch it yet? You gonna, when are you gonna, when are you gonna watch, watch it? it yet? Watch it yet? Yeah, and then I, yeah. Because I need to talk to you about this. <laughs> Anyways, 
a lot to love about the upcoming season of Inside Amy Schumer, and hopefully everyone will be, all the critics will be talking about it soon, because I really hope they watch all three before they're writing their reviews for this season. Um, let's move on to the shows that actually aired this week that you guys will actually know what we're talking about. So let's talk about Jane the Virgin, chapter 18. What did you, what did you think? Jane the Virgin is never bad. It was another solid, uh, another solid Jane's. I thought that the, um, they're doing some really interesting stuff with, with Raph where they are making him thornier, uh, for, for very understandable reasons. Uh, and, uh, the fact that they're having him sort of bottle up and not talk to Jane about it feels right for the character, uh, but is still irritating to me as a person who, uh, prefers Jane when everyone is being open, uh, and talking to Jane about everything, because Jane makes things better. Um, but, uh, the fact that he's got, like, real problems that he, that, uh, aren't getting solved right away and are creating sort of lasting issues, ending apparently in a break, break slash breakup this week, uh, is interesting. I'm hoping that it doesn't just, uh, sp spin off into a, into a Michael thing as it feels like it is going to. On the other hand, it feels like they've retconned a little bit where, um, she now has, the way she now tells the narrative is, I didn't break up with Michael because he lied. I break up. Uh, I broke up with him because I was falling for Raph, which is not how I remember that happening. No, but I think uh, what she's saying there is that she, she, if she wasn't hadn't been falling for Raph, she would have been able to work through the lying. As I th that's her perspective on it right now, at least. Mm -hmm. And because um, I, I absolutely agree with you, that is not. Why? Like there was significant stuff. Michael screwed up and big, uh, and how, uh, and was for weeks just lying to her. Um, and she doesn't do lying. So, um, yeah, I think that is a. I think I like that they that they address that part of it because yeah, when you she has this hindsight that that will shade the way that she looks at their breakup, but, um, I don't think it was just that. At least that's not how I, I'm reading it. Um, yeah, I agree that the, the stuff they're doing with Raph is very interesting. I like that they aren't just going to make it all sun, uh, sunshine and, and lollipops here. Um, for, for the two of them, they're giving them significant issues. They gave um, Michael and, and Jane some significant issues. They were going to have to either break up out or work through, and they broke up, or she broke up with him, I should say. Now they're doing the same here. And how the, the two characters react to that will shape a lot of what you know happens moving forward um i like the rest of the episode as well um the stuff with with rogelio's mom and and zoe i thought for the most part worked i i was glad when soccer guy showed up because it really seemed to justify the time we had spent with him earlier in the season that did feel like such a waste like now they're not dating for two weeks so she can date a soccer guy I, i'm you know i don't know if that was the i doubt that was the plan all along but it was a nice little callback i like the series memory there yeah, um, I, I'm going to try to keep this short because we've got so much to do today, but I'll just add that the whole uh, motif of of the worst person ever, but not actually the worst person ever, uh, because reasons, is classic Janes. Always mm -hmm. happy when they, when they take sort of a, a hacky sitcom premise and then say, no, actually, it's just about perspective and timing. Uh, yeah. Mostly. Sometimes people are just awful, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they're a person. 
I like that. Yeah, this that's such like you said, such a Jane the Virgin um, philosophy, and I love that this is a show that does that. Um, you're right. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's move on to Louis a la carte. We see Pamela come back. How many viewers do you think were very confused uh, that we see Louis sleep with the uh, the the surrogate in the in the premiere, and then we get Louis, huh. and then we get Pamela back here. Sleep with is an interesting way to phrase what well, happened with those have, characters. Have have unfortunate sex that leads have to a, a pregnancy. Have unfo- unfortunate hallway coitus. Yes. Um, I feel like anyone who's watching Louis at this point knows to disregard continuity, except I think as it relates to Pamela. Whenever Pamela shows up, you know you're, that you're in the Pamela time stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, wh- wh- whenever Louis ends, when that happens, uh, when he gets tired of making it or... FX gets tired of giving him $5 to make an episode uh, several times a year. Um, you, th- there will be theories of, of Louis continuity, but it's clear that if Pamela's there, there is continuity with other Pamela episodes. Um, and I, th- for the stuff that we've seen with Pamela in the episodes that we've seen, um, all that stuff is fantastic. And uh, in, in particular, the the sequence of them sitting down to dinner her discussing her philosophy of of dating the the whole a la carte thing the uh the way we almost get uh when i was in the third grade flashback to young louis and then kind of just being like oh this is gonna be long <laughs> which i feel like this is the first sort of self-aware season of louis uh where he's acknowledging that pe- that this is a show that people watch and have opinions about um and that's sort of him saying okay i'm not gonna do a big thing about that this year Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course the thing with the parmesan grater was like classic classic louis surrealism uh and it also featured louis shitting himself and his daughters finding it at first hilarious and then tragic which uh was a fantastic sequence yeah that that one didn't work for me as well i just that uh i, I don't know why it worked for me in bridesmaids and it didn't really work for me here um I think probably uh, because of some of the different societal gender, you know, hangups that we have, uh, maybe, or maybe because I saw it in, you know, this a similar kind of thing in Bridesmaids, it was less effective here because it's not like it's something I've never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but I, as I was watching, I was going, this isn't really that funny to me, but I'm sure a lot of people are loving this. So it, this is this that opening was not a four Kate opening, but I can absolutely appreciate how much a lot of the viewers must have loved it. Must have thought to it was me, hilarious. To me, it was about, it was all about the daughters and a having mm. them back. Cause they're both incredible actors and, and B uh, like I said, that at first they think it's hilarious, but then the way that it the, like for some reason, preserving their father's dignity or what is left of it becomes like their mission for those few minutes. And even like trying to get a cop involved and stuff like that. Like that was all great. I could have done without the no dumping sign. Um, that seemed a little bit low. But yeah, anyway, but the, the the Pamela stuff is really the heart of the episode to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Should we, would we want to mention the young comedian at all? Uh, it was amusing. Uh, he, he really reminded me of the actor who used to play Louis' agent, who I hope we get back at some point. Um, but yes, uh, amusing. And th- the show loves nothing more than to have Louis be wrong about stuff. 
um, which is another thing that separates it from other shows. Anyway, I, I wrote many, actually many words about this episode, uh, more than I was expecting to. Um, so you can check that out at Sound on Sight. But I don't really have time for the many things that I said there, most of which were Pamela related. Well, yeah, the, the I thought the comedian thing was, was pretty fun. I really enjoyed that part of the episode as well. And I don't think that Louis's wrong. I think he's the guy's not good, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that he can't be, be successful. Um, and Louis's advice was about being good. Like he was like, you're just, you're not, you're not good. I'm sorry. Cause not everybody's good. That's, and, uh, and some people need to hear that to get better, you know? Anyway. So I thought, I thought, I thought that I was with Louis throughout that, you know? So I thought that worked. Um, yeah. And we'll have more to say about Louis in the next couple of weeks, especially in two weeks, guys. But for now, let's move on to adventure time. Friends forever. Uh, as I think I've stated before, Ice King episodes have a special place in my heart because uh, I, I'm not sure there's any character on TV I relate to more than the Ice King. I don't know what that says about me. Um, probably nothing good. But uh, I can't really think of a bad Ice King-centric episode, and uh, this was no exception. I liked all the... Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of sort of side-eye, highbrow humor in this one, especially from, from his... Uh, the things in his house that he's just made alive. Um, and th th su suddenly his house has become like an annoying undergraduate house party, <laughs> uh, which I loved. And only, only a very certain vintage of Adventure Time viewers will, will be able to get that. And I, I appreciated the specificity. Yeah, it was really fun to see um, to see the different, you know, things come to life. I mean, there's just an inherent relatability to the Ice King because it's just that part of yourself that is needy and afraid that none of your friends actually really like you and that you're the, you're the one that they all talk about behind your back, which I think everybody's had that, that fear at one point in their life, right? Isn't that what middle school's all about? Um, so, the, yeah, I, I, he's just incredibly relatable. And um, that, that book, though, is freaking creepy i gotta say i hate his book that he loves at the end um oh yes yeah right i remember now yeah, yeah. that was a little bit creepy <laughs> but yeah the yeah there's just uh because he does all these terrible things um but because he's so pathetic it's really hard and because of the excellent writing and voice work by tom kenny uh you just can't help but feel bad for him um so it just kind of that character is just this seemingly inexhaustible well of of humor and relatability. So yeah, I, I always love Ice King episodes, and this was a delightfully creative one. Um, yeah, so I was I, I wasn't as big on as hot on the last episode, which was Walnuts and Rain. So it was nice to see them come back so strongly. Yeah, uh, I just, I would just like to add also that um, this I, I really like what the episode does with the trope of. Uh, bringing something to life to be your friend yeah which i feel like works out too much or in a certain way too often um which i'm hoping is something that for instance penny dreadful is going to do something interesting with although i'm very afraid that it won't um so it's nice to see adventure time go go serpentine with it yeah um well what about uh, silicon valley this week we re really liked the premiere uh did the second episode continue the forward momentum for you uh, yes, it did. Uh, first of all, I thought it was a great showcase for uh, Kumail Nanjiani this week, uh, who we get to see with his uh, with his fictional siblings, uh, sorry, fictional cousins, um, and sort of going off on his own and having having his own little adventure, which was great. Um, although 
frankly, this episode was mostly notable for having some of the greatest end credits of all time. Yeah, it was pretty fabulous. Um, just watching, like, are they going to... Yeah, they're just gonna keep going with this, and like by the time that um, the middle ditch character is just like, okay, let's just have some chips. Uh, I was really enjoying myself. The yeah, the, the stuff we get with Nanjiani is, is fantastic. It's and I, I love that there's a not in English portion of this episode uh, as well because they talk about that character um, being a Pakistani comparatively frequently uh but he's only ever spoken english uh so i i thought that was a nice touch and um yeah i, I also really enjoyed the guilfoyle we got here as well and we uh um, we didn't actually really talk about it on the podcast last week but the stuff they keep giving zach woods in regards to uh gender issues i always love so <laughs> last week we both loved the his description of negging and this week the uh bros before host it's sexist but it's about it's but it's about friendship um, is really delightful. So I'm enjoying yes. all of that. I, I assume also you must have enjoyed the comeuppance for uh, TJ Miller's douchiness from last week. Oh yeah, of course. It was delightful. Um, I, I don't think he's going to take, I don't think they're going to take the deal though. Uh, just because there are characters or actors we know that are going to feature prominently in the season who haven't been introduced yet. And I assume that they are going to be the ones that fund Pied Piper. Um, so the, yeah, I, I I do not anticipate them getting swallowed up by Huli. I don't. I think that would limit them creatively too too much. What do you think they're going to do? Uh, I I think that you are probably one hundred percent correct. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on this episode or or hopes for the next few? Uh, nope. It's Silicon Valley continues to be uh, delightful, and and I'm kicking myself that I never actually finished season one. <laughs> well, you should go back and catch up with it when you eventually get some time. Um, last week, Silicon Valley won the HBO you know battle of the comedies that I just made up in my head. Uh, this week, though, I have to give it to Veep because East Wing, I think, is one of my favorite episodes they've ever done. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, yeah, this was top to bottom great um and i think a lot of that credit has to go to tony hale mm -hmm. who um uh really has i mean he's always been great but he and and in and many things but there's always been um i feel like the specter of buster will always haunt him because he created such an indelible character with him um now he's telling Milford man <laughs> and um I think it's episodes like this that will help help him get away from that and, and, and help people to realize that he, he can do more than just be a pathetic, simpering man-child. Um, to, to watch him actually st stand up to her is like, it's it's not just like a great comedic moment, it's just a great moment. Um, and it's, it's, Veep doesn't often get to have human moments because it's so, uh, it's, it's so, um, focused in on on the snark and the and the lines and the vulgarity and and the satire so when it does sort of pierce to that other level it's it's always surprising but it's it's what lets it be sort of a cut above i think well yeah and whenever you have a moment as intense and dramatic as what we get in the you know that confrontation scene between selena and uh and gary it only heightens the comedy around it so it, it you know having that that kind of that gut punch of the way that that fight escalates just makes like the, the that um that end all the better all the you know as they when that situation diffuses and then 
they're back to their dynamic and now we're laughing about Mike's mustache again and <laughs> Catherine's inability to <laughs> to deal with Girl Scouts or I think they're called uh, brown birds or something like that. I don't know. The the Girl Scout stand-ins um are just it was just it's just delightful. It really having that dramatic moment makes the comedic moments more effective and the comedic moments makes the dramatic moment more effective and yeah, watching him instantly stand up to her. I mean, this character has come such a long way since the pilot, and uh, it was really fantastic. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is also fantastic in, in the scene, that scene, too. Um, and that's the other thing. I could just talk about, we could just talk about that scene for this segment, uh, this portion of the podcast, except that there's so much other fantastic comedy. I mean, Kent and Catherine. <laughs> or an unfriendly hello, or a friendly hello in an unfriendly way. I mean, there's some great stuff here. Yeah, Diedrich Bader's really been a gift to the show, and it's did he do anything in between Drew Carey and this? Because I feel like I haven't seen him in ages. Oh, he's been he's been popping up all over the place. At least, I mean, I feel like I notice him, uh, you know, like in in small roles places, but certainly not as prominent um, in in quite a while. But uh, no, I mean, I think he's a natural fit. I really liked him last season, and I like that he's got a heightened presence. He's, he seems like he'll be around quite a bit this season. Um, and just watching, you know, Amy, like as he continues in that Amy um, and Erickson scene, um, he just keeps interrupting her. It's just in watching just Anna Chomsky's eyes just go like keep twitching that like notch higher towards insanity. Mm. It's delightful. Yeah. He, he has kind of the same unpleasant intensity as, as the Tom Hollander character from the thick of it, uh, the fucker mm -hmm. in case anyone forgot who I'm talking about. I think he's only in one episode, but you don't really forget the fucker. Um, and and you also mentioned the the stuff with Gary Cole and Catherine, which was utterly delightful. And I think I'm I'm hoping that they that they keep Catherine as a, as a, as a running thread of just someone who is uh is is un un what what's the word I'm looking for? Just not ready for prime time, and will never be ready for prime time, and yet. Uh, by necessity, will always be in prime time. <laughs> She's just so awkward. And, I mean, we see how awkward Selena is when she has to actually deal with the public. Uh, so Catherine has gotten that from her, um, which is delightful. But, no, because, and one of the commenters over, because my review's up for this is up at the AV Club, one of the commenters mentioned um, how, and I absolutely agree, that she is, yeah, she, it's they take they're taking a different approach with that character than so many other shows with political figures because she's not rebelling against her mom. She's not like acting out or anything. She just has she's a just inept. She, yeah, well, she's got a complicated relationship with her mother, and she's not good in social situations, and she's forced into them constantly because her mother's the president. Yeah, which I'm not really sure there's a, there's a precedent for that character. Yeah. Um, Yes. So yes, I I completely agree. Uh, and, Veep, Veep wins the HBO comedy sweepstakes this week. Um, any uh, anything you want to say about uh, Patton Oswalt's Teddy or Jonah or any of the other corners of the show? Mike's mustache. Poor Zach Orth got got fired. <laughs> oh, Zach Orth, that guy can't catch a break. <laughs> well, it was it was another uh, it was a fantastic episode of Veep. Um, and for me, the week in comedy comes down to. That third episode of Inside Amy Schumer and this episode of Veep. Um, so I'm going to give it to this episode of Veep because I'll be able to give it to Inside Amy Schumer in a couple weeks. What Strategic. about you? Strategic. Yes. Strategery. Stratagems. Uh, sure. I'll go with that. Okay. Now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre. 
week in genre, we're going to preview the Penny Dreadful season premiere, Fresh Hell, that's debuting on May 3rd, but we're going to talk about it this week. Then we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about the Messenger's pilot, uh, Awakening. We'll both talk about the Orphan Black season three premiere, the weight of this combination, and then a few things happened on Outlander, The Devil's Mark, uh, as well as S.H.I.E.L.D., Melinda, iZombie, Flight of the Living Dead, and then Game of Thrones, The House of Black and White. But first up, Penny Dreadful. The lovely people over at Penny Dreadful have made the premiere available to you legally online. You can go watch a censored version, uh, which means that they blurred out boobies and other things, uh, but the rest seems unchanged. Um, we're going to keep this spoiler free because some of you will not have seen it yet. It's premiering on Sunday, um, but we we had last season, we liked Penny Dreadful and some of the things they were doing, but nowhere near as much as some other friends of the show really, really did. Um, how are you on this premiere? Is it a step in the right direction or do you have the same concerns? Uh, the latter, I think there were some moments in Penny Dreadful season one where I, where I may have actually said out loud, oh, wow, like they did that. That was cool. I didn't see that coming. Uh, and it was moments like that and scenes like that, sequences like that, that made me keep watching, even though there were aspects of it that I did not like. I don't think the premiere really has any of those. Um, to keep it general, uh, Helen McCrory has been added as a regular and I think that she's, uh, she does she can't quite match Eva Green for fierceness fierceness. Um but uh she sure is trying. So that'll be an interesting uh duel to see uh sort of happen over the course of the season. And I continue to really, really find the Frankenstein stuff immensely frustrating. I like Frankenstein, but everything they're giving his monster to do is again it's too familiar and i have the same issues with it in this premiere as i did last season don't ask me to care about this character after you've had him just slaughter a bunch of innocent people last season because creator i mean that's it doesn't that doesn't work um also side note not really related to the episode so much as showtime in general it's nice for them to put up the premiere early i guess but when it really feels like it was a deliberate choice to have an episode that was like almost wall to wall female nudity so yeah. that they can so that they could blur it all out and then have text like rise up from the bottom saying you want to see everything give us your money like oh Which it was not a good look they do yeah it seems like i felt like this episode just single-handedly undid any gender equality we were getting through peen and 15 um like all the good work of looking and like the Game of Thrones season premiere and so there's things that you know Outlander embracing the female gaze has been undone just by this episode. I feel so bad for um I to keep it spoiler free for one of the actors, one of the actresses in this. I, so they better give her a lot to do later in the season to justify what they ask uh her to show up for in this premiere. It's like this is this is the only thing you bring her here to do in this premiere? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm hoping there was some uh, body double and or non-human action in there. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, it's. I think her plot, that plot line is going to be the one on which the value of the season rests the most, I think. Yeah, I, I also really like Helena McCrory here. It's nice to see her more prominent. Um, Josh Hartnett was one of the big surprises of the season for me last year, and I... I think I'll also, based on this premiere, really like what, you know, that character this season, what they're starting to explore, I think is is very interesting and uh, has a lot of potential. And, um, yeah, this is just, it feels very Penny Dreadful. So if you are full on board with Penny Dreadful season one, I think this is very much the show that you will be happy to see back. 
Yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, whereas if, if like us, you were frustrated with major aspects, you will probably continue to be frustrated with major aspects. Major aspects. Major well, aspects. Next up is The Messenger's Pilot Awakening. This is, uh, premiered last Friday on The CW. And um, this is, I'm not going to, again, once, once, once again, another network pilot on which, uh, with which I'm not going to be particularly helpful. Um, I actually thought this was a solid network genre pilot. Um, there's some... There's some elements here. This is about, uh, you know, there's a event uh, that affects a handful of people in different areas. There's like this, um, something crashes down to Earth and there's like a wave or, you know, sort of sonic energy or something that kind of goes through, I guess, the world. It doesn't, and these people that we see it, this wave kind of go through um, of energy go through their eyes dilate get all huge and then they die for a few moments and wake up with special abilities and now occasionally in reflections and stuff they have ghostly angel wings um so that, that you know and it's like this you know satan is now on earth kind of thing and good versus evil it's like a whole it's a very familiar genre fair. However, I think um, I like some of the performances. I don't. I'm not familiar with most of these actors, but I thought they were solid, at least for the pilot. Um, the there's a couple characters that could be interesting and something new. And I, I there are several uh, visuals that I think are really really nice. Like there's a couple shots of even just like long shots of cars parked on the side of a highway and somebody's walking up to the cars, but it's just, it look, you know, the, the visuals of it looks really nice. It's well shot. It's well, you know, the, the colors and, you know, just, I enjoyed watching it. Um, so good production values, I guess, on some of these, some of these just more straightforward shots. I don't know how, how much the super powered team gets together kind of thing I'm going to connect with, but based on this first episode, if it wasn't such an insane time for TV right now, I would be excited to watch more. Um, I don't know if I will watch more right now just because there there is so much TV on. I got to get through April Apocalypse. Um, uh, April Geddon, that's what I'm calling it. Um, but when we get into May and June, you know, if it's still going, if people are saying good things, I will probably check back in with this one. Do you have any interest in um, Satan Among Us and some messengers of God sent to, you know, stop him oh that stuff is pretty worn out for me man but uh if you say it's good i'll watch it yeah so i'll have to i don't know if i can say it's good yet but okay. not bad i guess is where i'm at not with bad it. not not bad is something yeah um let's move on to the orphan black season three premiere uh last season there was so much that i really liked and there was so much um i was frustrated by because i i wanted them to do better because i think they can um the big thing for me last season was that how did they still not have a villain? And this was a show sorely in need of a villain. Well, this season they've introduced one, which is Project Caster. At least for now, it seems like they're the villains. Um, did that work for you? Are, is, how, how, how do you think they're doing with the introduction of these male clones? Um, they have a tricky thing with the male clones uh, because I know that they're deliberately meant to be um, – there's less variation between them, and it's by design – um, because yeah. they all sort of they all sort of serve the same purpose. That doesn't mean uh, it's a good design. That's sort of where I'm at with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, They're doing the a good hand, job on executing their idea, but it doesn't seem like it's the best idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, that means I, I think what what's going to happen with them is they're just going to start getting killed off. 
like that. Mm. They don't. If you have multiple characters that serve the same purpose, the natural thing to do is to start whittling them down to one character. Um, so when that starts happening, I will not be surprised. How many times has Elena been abducted? Many, many is the answer there. Um, yeah, it's really starting to get tired of that beat. Uh, I'm really hoping that she gets out for a while and then doesn't get to be abducted for at least another, I don't know, two seasons. Uh, that being said, I did enjoy her dream sequence and her conversations with the scorpion. Um, I the, the weirder and more surreal Orphan Black gets, generally the happier it makes me. Because that's time that is not spent building up this Byzantine mythology that I care less and less about the more complicated it gets. Remember how in season one, it was like five episodes before anybody said the word clone? Yeah. <laughs> and how that yeah, was the best the show and the most consistent the show ever was when it was about people. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And, and t to its credit, like it does try to still be about people. Uh, like the, the way it, it, it is ultimately a show about family and makeshift families. And we, this is a conversation we've had dozens of times before about other shows. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about that same thing that so many other shows are about. And sometimes it does it really well. Uh, other times, not so much. The uh, but w w when we get the addition of yeah yeah Project Caster and Helsinki and um, you know another dozen things and and this Ferdinand guy and I have I have no concept of how the dyad hierarchy works. I have mm -hmm. no idea. Do well, you? we do know Delphine is the new Rachel. That's very helpful. We did. I didn't really know what Rachel's position was, but now I know <laughs> Delphine yeah. has that position. Right. Um, and, and to its credit, the show seems to understand that because they hammer home. She's she's Rachel now. Not the job is. It's like, you know, the role Rachel is playing. She's going to be that now. Don't ask us what that is, but you should understand how it's right. going to work. It, it means that she presses thumbs into eye sockets now. Yes, basically. And she wears, you know, sleek blonde hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like they, uh, to, again, sort of to their credit, it seems like the natural thing to happen with Delphine the original character would just be like to to not be around anymore. It's like, oh, we 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 really like Delphine. We're gonna keep her around by having her be someone totally different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do like the actress. I think she's done a lot with that with that role. Um, but I just am not interested in that part of the show. And when you introduce this this huge new thing, these male clones, to to, you know, I, there are plenty of us amongst the fan base who are skeptical with the capital capital S about that. Like, can any per other actor pull off what Maslany has made look so easy, um, doing all these different characters and truly embodying them all? Um, and then to to take that and say, well, let's do something different. Okay, that's good. Except that then they have all these different ver all these different clones running around, and I don't. None of them have a name. None of them have anything distinguishing about them, so I don't, I do not care about any of them at all, and they're just sort of annoying to me. And when when creepy cult clone is, I think he has a name, right? That's Mark. Is the yeah. the most interesting, or like I I was not interested in that character last season at all, at all. Um, but if 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 you have just a nameless, um, you know, this guy has a stupid mustache. This guy has a haircut that apparently he's able to maintain while in prison um then i can't i can't invest in or be care about or really be scared by these people because they are not characters they are plot devices yeah uh well 
Orphan Black has a problem where it keeps adding stuff and then forgets to subtract. <laughs> like, yeah. There's just there's so much that's floating around in its universe and it's it's gotten impossible to service at all. And it's also made it I think susceptible to formula where at the when this season starts, you know, we check in with all the clones and Allison is doing a very Allison thing and uh, and Sarah's doing very very Sarah things. I like that Allison remembers that she has kids. Which is good. Yes. Which didn't happen for a while last season. But she doesn't possibly have time to... If she's going to be involved with with her kids again and being a mother, which is good. I think that's a, a good move by the writers. Makes sense for the character and kind of connects her to who she's supposed to be. She doesn't have time to then also be doing clone stuff and also be considering a run for office. And also there's financial troubles at home because Donnie just got fired. Like, she can't possibly do all of that. It just doesn't make sense. And so the, the problem I'm having with the Elson part of the storyline is not the fact that she's a clone and the fact that all this crazy stuff is happening and somebody's trying to kill her family. It's that the writers are trying to make me believe she doesn't sleep or something to get all this done. Yeah. Well, I'm, cl clearly she'll be enl enlisting some clone help at some point in the season yes. because they love to do that. Um, and it's honestly, it's it's the it's the playing dress up part of the episode that's still the best, I think, mm -hmm. like. It's it's such an old gag, but yeah. they never seem to to tire of it. Um, it would be nice if it ended less often. In Sarah gets into kinky sex stuff, which seems to be every time, yeah, <laughs> with a different character. Much as I appreciated how how kinky it got, um, which you know is sort of Orphan Black's bread and butter. Anyway, I mean, I, I feel bad that we've gone on this long. When, when really my thought is Orphan Black continues to be Orphan Black and have things that I enjoy and other things that I'm immensely frustrated and or bored by. Yeah. I will say, though, you already mentioned it. I loved everything with Helena that we got this week. Um, that opening sequence I thought was fantastic. Um, and I, I'm totally fine now. Thanks to science. It was great. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember that now. Yeah. Um, and the Scorpion, I think, is fantastic. I love the way that those two fantasies kind of the one leads into the other and for my fuller thoughts on this you can check out my review it's not on site um but yeah let's, you're right we should move on we've been saying too much of the same thing over and over again so let's move on to outlander the devil's mark there was a lot of um hype for this episode where comparatively i heard from several sources that it was a it was a good episode coming up um and i didn't know what to expect from the trial episode but i did not expect this uh how did how did it work for you did you expect what we got here? The actual trial part of the episode, I think, is kind of negligible, to be honest. Uh, if you've read The Crucible or seen The Crucible, this it was the the Outlander equivalent of The Crucible and didn't really have anything new or exciting. I didn't really uh, buy the idea that... Um, I mean, I get that emotions run high and stuff, but the, this, this uh, Claire acting out in the courtroom and yelling and trying to get people... Like, she should know that's not going to work. Yeah, but she's not good at impulse control, our Claire. That's true. I bought it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I guess I was I was just frustrated with her watching. Like, no, lady, don't just. This is there's really no good way out of this for you, um, other than rescue. Which I found it odd that they never really explained how how Jamie just sort of showed up. Um, um, I could believe Ned sending a messenger off. You know. Yeah, I just it was it was weird how they explained several times. Um, that's that's the mark of the smallpox vaccine mm -hmm. um but didn't explain once how jamie got there you could throw in a line in there um they really occasionally outlander really likes to underline points for us but yeah so the the, the the actual trial i didn't i didn't care so much about but what happens after that uh definitely was not expecting them to hit the fast forward button on that 
Um, and to, about the small pa- smallpox scar, because um, I've seen some places people saying, oh, see, that's why they need narration for a moment like that. Cause you, but they, like, they don't. But they don't, because in the next like scene, you have her tell Jamie, that's called a vaccine, and that's from smallpox. I mean, I, I understand that not everybody's going to... I mean, as soon as she pulled down the thing and they showed, showed her arm, I was like, oh, smallpox. And she had already said 1968. I also love, I love that they... Foresh- uh, that they foreshadow, they kind of tip their hand with that a little bit when she says, "Looks like I'm going to a fucking barbecue," because it's such a modern thing to say. Yes. Um, and, but we're so in the emotion of it. Like some people might have like struck them as as lazy writing, as too you know, as cheating sort of. Um, but instead, it's actually very clever writing, and I I I loved the delivery of that line and that she's just done pretending, uh, Galus. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, we really didn't need like. An, a voiceover and then her to say it again. I mean, but yeah, like you say, I did not expect them to just say, so time travel, uh, here's everything. And him to go, okay, cool. But I think they've done yeah, the legwork on, on showing that he accepts or that magic is a much more accepted part of life in that time. Um, and they're just being things that people don't understand and that they explain with magic. Cause that makes more sense. The aspect that uh, that part I'm okay with. The aspect that I had trouble buying was he finds out that Claire is already married, and it's just like, oh, well, let's let's just get you back to your husband then. <laughs> like that does not seem like the reaction of someone who behaved as we saw in the last couple of episodes. Well, but I could see I could see it as, um, especially well. First of all, he knows that he knew that she was married to start out with. I mean, it's not like. She he didn't know that she, you know it's not like she did hid the fact that she had a husband when they first met. Um, and I think when he she says some of this other stuff, if he accepts it, it just sort of kind of clicks into place. Uh, uh, and and so you know like he never she never said her husband was dead. She said her husband wasn't alive. You know things like that. Um, and and also just her behavior. Technically I think, true. I think the best kind of correct. Yes, the best kind of true. Um, but. Um, so I so I also see it as him um, knowing that he needs her to choose him if he's ever really going to accept, be able to, like, not have doubts all the time about that, you know, um, and hope that she will. And then she does. I don't know. Yeah, I still don't really. Buy, I mean, I, 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 I will allow that it is much more interesting than the alternative of, like, several episodes of huffing and puffing about it. Yeah. Uh, before eventually getting to this anyway. So if we if we have to have a dodgy fast forward of, oh, this is cool. Like, mm-hmm. I would Ray rather do that even if I have issues with it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I do wonder what this will mean for the, the, the present day aspect of the show. Uh, I feel like the only option now is to have him go back in time to find her. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Because otherwise, um, what would you even do with that plotline? Because she doesn't want to go back, so... Yeah. Well, uh, I know a few things from the books, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But I think that is a... I, you know, I think that's a good question, and I'll leave it there. Uh, so let's move on to... Let's move on to S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Melinda, now this was a much-hyped episode just in the, within the run of the series. We've talked about the, this whole cavalry situation with, with Agent May. And uh, there's very little here that isn't... Um, expected, but I thought they did a good job of executing that storyline and and putting 
you know, informing the character based on on what we saw and, and what her decisions will be moving forward. I wanted to mention it because it was such a significant character episode for Agent May. And I, I, I did think they did a good job. The action worked well. And the the reveal was gutting enough and appropriate enough that um, that I think it they managed to, to make it work. Um, I also think that this is a significant enough event that it could very reasonably and understandably shape the character in her choices now that they have this, like, fracture about S.H.I.E.L.D., um, so I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to what's going to happen next with her in a way that I, you know, I thought I knew exactly how she'd react. Now I'm not so sure. And I think that's a smart move to to make her a, a character who's theoretically in play rather than automatically in Coulson's camp. So uh, I don't know if I'll talk about S.H.I.E.L.D. again this season, but I thought it was worth mentioning um, this one. Uh, let's move on to iZombie Flight of the Living Dead. Now, we haven't been talking about iZombie in the podcast because when we did our season preview for iZombie, we talked about we had seen the first four. This is episode five, so we've had some time off from the show, though we've seen all the episodes. Uh, Simon, did you like this episode more than what you'd seen previously? Were you glad to have the time off, or did it feel like more of the same? I thought it was a slight improvement. Uh, I don't think it's a good sign that we didn't have any of the big bad this week, and I really, really, really didn't miss him. Yeah, David Anders, um, yeah. David Andrews, thank you. I think he's he's a he's a fine actor and a, a good screen presence, but I don't care about that character uh, at all. And if they were to dispatch him, I would feel better about the show, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't care about that season long arc, which is that's clearly yeah. what it is. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, there. I, I appreciate that they're really putting the the ex fiance through the ringer for some reason. Um, like they're they're really not shying away from that, but. Uh, I'm not sure I care about that either. Um, if only because the show is so lighthearted and optimistic for the most part, considering what it's about, uh, that I don't really trust they're going to go anywhere, uh, super, uh, interesting with that. But, you know, we'll, I guess time will tell, uh, you know, we get Ryan Hansen, Ryan Hansening it up, um, which is nice. We also get a case that doesn't really get resolved, or at least the, the perp doesn't get apprehended, which I was not expecting and was uh, again, kind of a kind of a, 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 an overtly Veronica Marzi touch, um, and I'm always always happy for. If this wants to be a stealth remake of Veronica Mars, I'm totally down for that. Is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. I don't I don't need originality. Uh, I I just need more of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fine episode. It, it's still it's not better than okay for me so far, but I feel like it, it occasionally hints at ways it could get better. I like, for example, that in this episode we finally have. Uh, Liv, which, by the way, this episode really hammers home the fact that her name is Liv Moore. She's a zombie, and her name is Liv Moore. Yeah. But at least they lampshade it by having her introduce herself, and then the other character, who we find out later, who knows that she's a zombie, say, do you? Um, I guess if that's going to be, you know, hang a, hang a lampshade on it, move on, hopefully... That we're done with that. Um, I like that she doesn't actually go full zombie because that's been one of the elements of formula in those first four episodes that I got tired of right away. Is like, okay, what's going to happen so that this episode contrives a reason for her to go full zombie mode? Um, so I like that they got get away from that here. Um, that we get a little bit of that from her new love interest. Uh, I hope that they don't feel the need to just hit these same beats every episode moving forward. So having that not happen, having the David Anders character and this other like building horde of zombies not be as present. These are things that I, I I enjoyed, and like you say, Ryan Hansen for the win. Yeah, the, the the one aspect of the show that I kind of actively dislike is I feel as though the show it has this underlying moral that it doesn't mean to keep reinforcing. Where 
it kind of it kind of was saying like i was living my life wrong and that's why i i died <laughs> like <laughs> oh i should have been more adventurous i should have been more promiscuous and done more drugs and jumped out of more planes otherwise i wouldn't be this boring dead zombie person yeah <laughs> is that just me picking up on that well i do think that there's um an element there but i think that also uh see if they had done a better job of establishing like we talked about earlier when we were talking about the first four if they had done a better job of establishing her as a person before her zombiness that would help um because we don't have a strong sense of who like her default personality her actual personality besides you know nice and smart and kind of sassy sometimes it's hard to um you know she eats these brains and she becomes this other version of herself and that so far has almost always been a, a good thing. So it's hard to see that as something other than a statement on what she should be like all the time. But, you know, it's a little, I wouldn't say that it's a problem so much as I think they need to figure that out a bit, a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on iZombie or is it time for some Game of Thrones? Let's do that. Of course, the Sound of the Game of Thrones podcast will be out. It should already be out in your feed. So, I'm, again, I'm not going to say too much about this other than I really liked it. Um, and uh, and I'm gonna, so I'm going to leave it to you, Simon. What did you think of the House of Black and White? We have, a, as you mentioned, we have an entire Game of Thrones podcast. I'm not going to go on about this too long. Uh, and it feels weird to take up any of my time with this, but it did just occur to me a few days ago, so I have to say it. Drogon is a terrible name for a dragon. <laughs> I realize it's it's in tribute to to Khal Drogo, but really Drogon, here's my cat caught. Well, it's, it's I have a question though, which is worse? Drogon or Aragon? Uh Oh, Drogon is worse. Drogon is worse than Aragon? It's like yeah. Aragon's like they're trying to, you know, they're hoping you hadn't noticed. This at least Drogon is tied to something. And Viserion, and like the other ones end in on too. No, I, I, I isn't, well, isn't one of them a, a gar? Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, not the point of this episode. Um, we get uh, Jamie and Bronn palling around again, which I'm always fond of. Um, and I really like seeing Bronn hanging out with his his betrothed. Yeah. Um, and seeing their, their dynamic probably for the only time we ever will. Um. It really seems like they're going ahead full steam with the Varys and Tyrion going to Marine thing, which, all right, <laughs> like I, I mean, this, if we actually get Tyrion and Danny meeting like within the next five episodes, I will doff my cap to them. <laughs> um, and I guess that's all I'll say about that for now. Um, and I'm also hopeful that maybe this season, maybe they can make Melisandre worth caring about. That would be nice. Okay. Any thoughts about Arya? Um, uh, I, I think I may have been spoiled on what happens with Arya uh, in the books. I don't really remember. Uh, so it might have been made up, but um, it also feels like they're 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 going along at a nice clip with that as well, uh, which has been which has been nice. And I get to say Jack and Hagar again, so <laughs> I, I'm a happy man. Okay, how about uh, John being made Lord Commander and uh, what we get here with Danny? I'm a little bit concerned that. I kind of am starting to be okay with Jon Snow. Ooh. Um, if only because he's had so many crappy things happen to him mm -hmm. that I feel like it's okay for him to be kind of crappy now. If that makes any sense. Whereas before he was being all simpery and crappy for no good reason. Now I feel like he has a reason and the character now makes sense to me. <laughs> um, so that's a weird feeling to have. Um, 
and uh and all and the gilly stuff is always nice okay fair enough well um i really liked this episode i liked the time we get with um yeah i was so glad that they didn't stretch out brianne and sansa meeting i'm so glad like there's a number of things in this episode and where it looks like the season is is like shaping up to go that just really has me happy that they don't seem to be stalling these arcs very glad about that i like the glimpse we get of doran i like uh pretty much everything here so uh, i'll just will say thumbs up for me and you can listen to my full thoughts on the sound of State game of thrones podcast and i'm gonna you know spoiler alert here uh what wins your week in genre because for me it's game of thrones uh yes it it will do that well, fair enough. Uh, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in drama. In the deep, dark hills of eastern Kentucky That's the place where I trace my bloodline And it's there I read on a hillside grave you will never leave the Harlan alive. Well, my granddad's dad walked down Catherine's Mountain, and he asked Tilly Hilton to be his bride. Said, oh, "Won't you walk with me out of the mouth of?" is a holler but we'll never leave a heart This week in drama, we're going to talk about the Justified finale, pouring out for Justified. Uh, then we'll talk uh, about the Americans penultimate episode, I Am Abyssin Zadran. And then we'll talk a little Mad Men. It's a short week in in drama, at least number of episode-wise, but there's plenty to talk about here. Um, so let's kick things off with the Justified finale. One more time, for old time's sake, shall we? Justified! justified! Uh, yeah, Justified series finale. Uh, the Promise. Uh, 78 episodes is a pretty good run. Uh, it feels like. Um, I heard in advance. Um, all I really knew in advance was A, that I should that I should rewatch the pilot, uh, according to Steppenwall, and B, I think it was Matt Zeller's site said, um, I was... I was surprised by uh, the, the the series finale was not what I was expecting in a good way. When he said um, it was not what I was expecting, I then felt like I had a reasonable idea of what to expect. And this was sort of that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, this was not the guns blazing finale we reasonably predicted based on every single other season finale of Justified. Um, literally every single one, right? I mean, all the way back to Bulletville. I mean, mm -hmm. come on, Bulletville. Um, but the more I think about it, especially when I wrote my review, which ended up being really long, um, the more I think about how they did it, I think it was, uh, I, it's definitely not a perfect finale by any means, but of all the ways that they could have chosen to end it, I think this was, this was probably one of the very best. Um, the idea of wrapping up the 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 season beats within the first twenty five minutes in a relatively, uh, in an unpretentious, no nonsense kind of way. I can see a few people seem to think that was anticlimactic. I didn't really have a problem with it. Um, basically, everything that happens in the in the in the four years later, I was cool with. Um, 
especially uh, I, I watched it twice for my review and, and on a second viewing, uh, I think basically all those scenes work, uh, which I was not expecting. Uh, and overall, I mean, I, I thought it was actually quite affecting and low key in ways that I was not anticipating, even if the, the pilot reference, the pilot referencing was really over the top. Like, I'm not sure if there's ever been a finale that's referenced a series pilot as much as this one does. Yeah, it does reference it a lot. I didn't rewatch it for this, but I, I rewatched it comparatively recently, like within the last year or two, uh, to write about it for Sound on Sight for our great greatest pilots month. Um, so yeah, I'm very that's very st- fresh in my mind. The the justified pilot has stuck in there for me. Um, so yeah, I was noticing callbacks left and right. I'm sure if I had just rewatched it, there were even more. But um, yeah, for me, any issue of this being anticlimactic. I think really, really would have been solved if they had just aired these last two episodes back to back. Because the the timing, the way that the previous episode ends felt very sudden. And uh, and then, like you say, we get like 25 minutes into this and it's just done. And I think for me, at least, if I watch those two back to back, for me, that's going to be a much smoother end of the season, end of the series, and then the the tag we get, the 20 minutes, 15 minute tag, whatever that was, will feel much more like a, a denouement and less like a half of a finale. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really, like you said, everything in the four years later, I loved, um, especially the number one thing, is it the same for you as it is for me? The fact that Raylan and Winona are not together, but are, are co-parenting and co-parenting effectively. Uh, seemingly yes uh that was everything about that sequence was perfect um i really liked also the the few minutes the like 90 seconds we get of jason gedrick apparently he was also in boomtown so it was like mm-hmm. their last chance to get one more boomtown person in uh as ava's new squeeze and apparently like a, a semi-permanent one at least because because willa seems pretty comfortable with him um the because when we first get to him in uh in florida um it it, it really feels like, oh shit, it's a callback to the pilot, which means Boyd's going to show up and they're going to have a shootout in front of this playground, mm-hmm. um, which I was so glad that didn't happen. Because um, I, I, I was I was actually certain for like about eight seconds that that's what it was about to happen. Yeah. Yep. Me too. Um, <laughs> and this, the fact that they went the complete opposite way with it was was so great. Um, yeah. Everything in that, in that scene was great. I was not expecting the last... Uh, Rail and Ava scene to be that good. Um, I liked everything about that actually. <laughs> just mm-hmm. the way he finds her. Actually, the way that Rachel. Uh, I, I I didn't pick up on it at first, but Rachel basically just sends him the clipping. Is like, do what you want, man. <laughs> just like <laughs> it's yours. Just whatever. <laughs> I, just, I love that detail. Um, and her last contribution and the way that um, again, there's an avoidance of overt like sparks. It's more like. More like a, a calm, what might have been, uh, and uh, and seeing young Zachariah. Oh, good mm. good name choice. Um, and his, I didn't even pick up on the boydness of his outfit, but yeah, that was that was al- almost almost too much. But I think it was fine. I noticed also, the hair more than anything. It was like so slicked down. You know, it was like proper. You know, preacher Boyd as mm-hmm. opposed to crazy Boyd, uh, spooky yeah. Boyd, I should say. Um, yeah, I, I really like that. And just, just again, that callback to him showing up on her porch in the pilot and like the way that they play that scene. It was that they're handling. We would talk about this being referential of the pilot. For me, it was it, it did it in a way that honored the pilot and felt very natural as opposed to feeling like 
a, a labored now we have to do this, you know, winking, overly obvious, you know, way to do it. It, it felt so natural to the characters and to the rapport um, that it really worked, did work for me. Um, the, the last scene, I mean, as I'm watching that last scene, I, I was watching it and um, and uh, my sister came over and uh, I I was like, I'm almost done justified. Shh. And she's like, what, what, what? I'm like, we duck all together. Wait for it. Wait for it. We duck all And then that, so like, it was just satisfying in the best way. Like, when I'm saying the line of dialogue out loud to the TV before they say it, normally that's not a good thing. Uh, but here yeah. it was the perfect delivery. The timing was great. And of course, that's how they ended. And I love that uh, I, there were so many different reads of, of the Boyd scenes in, in the, in the flash forward, if you want to call it that. Um, I mean, some people saw his, his preaching again as being redemptive. I did not. Um, it felt just so hollow to me. And uh, just like again, like Raylan even says, like you're just you're repeating yourself. And he's got this tiny congregation. Would it have killed them to stick W. O. Brown in the congregation, um, <laughs> or or Robert Quarles? <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, it, it, there was nothing redemptive about that to me. Uh, the only redemption really was getting to see his friend again and and having that that human moment. And I love that their that their last that this last human moment contains Raylan lying and mm-hmm. and exploiting to some degree their friendship while also being genuine the that the that ambiguity of uh of of i'm going to i'm going to do this in as humane a way as possible but i'm also protecting this other person and and manipulating the facts and also i love the way that he presented this narrative of this is what happened to ava and it's a totally plausible way for the series to have ended with her story um and actually sort of maybe what i was expecting uh, and they totally did not do that. Um, every, I don't know. That that scene was also just beautifully written and acted, I thought. Yeah, it was a really great... You know, and again, for the for a show where Boyd was supposed to die in the pilot, to have that be your last last scene, you know, it was very fitting and it worked really well. Um, any other thoughts about the finale? We're going to yeah. talk more Justified, never you fear, gentle listeners. Um, but anything else you want to talk about in this specific episode? I just wanted to ask you, what do you think the promise is? I mean, the episode's called The Promise. Um, I took, I mean, so many other people uh, picked up on, obviously, Ava a few episodes ago talked about um, there's a place in hell for a man uh, breaks a promise to a woman. Um, and there's obviously the promise of Raylan's parenting. But to me, the promise is you'll never leave Harlan alive, hmm. um, which uh, is not true because every main character, in fact, leaves Harlan alive. Trammell is in... Louis, uh, is in Oklahoma. So technically he has left Harlan alive, uh, Boyd that is. Um, and I love that, uh, the, the series ends with that, uh, that feeling of, of, uh, of escape for the most part of there is, there, there is life after Harlan for most people, maybe not for Loretta and a few other characters. Um, Loretta didn't only... want to leave though. Loretta didn't want to leave, but she may come to regret that decision one day, but that's for, that's for a spinoff series or something, mm-hmm. uh, which I would, honestly be totally down for um but uh yeah and uh, and i was I, I felt like we sort of got deprived one last chance of of hanging out with psycho win uh hmm. who also left harlan alive which i was not expecting um anyway but did, did you have any thoughts on on the title or um not really other than i think it's a vague enough title that it can work for a lot of different promises that have been made over the series run um I think it can depend on how you look at the Boyd and Raylan confrontation. Um, that if you, if you, 
make me draw, I'm going to put you down. Like, do you, mm. d- does Boyd want to die in that moment? Is he, he's like, do you promise? Are you, because I got nothing left. Like, going out guns blazing, theoretically, you know, on the ways that Boyd could go in that moment, do you think he wants to die? And if he does, then is he relying on that promise from, from Raylan? You know, I think you could look at it that way. I think you could look at it. Um, we have some of the the interactions with Ava and with Raylan over, over the years, you know, um, I think there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I like that. I, that notion of you'll never leave Harlan alive. I think that also works, uh, as an interesting, potential promise so i mean just um yeah there's 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 quite a bit there there's a lot of fun ways to interpret that which is one of the things you got to like about a finale the last question i have for you is um uh i think i think i am the only one from what i can tell online i didn't love our, our our guy Jonathan Tucker, we love him. He's so good. We've been singing his praises. People who are just—it's been like almost aggravating to me to watch people go. This guy Jonathan Tucker, I don't know. <laughs> and we're like, we've been singing his praises on this podcast for at least a year at this point, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Um, I didn't really love how they, you know, how I I didn't believe that shoot that shootout at the end. It just felt maybe that was the point that's so cartoonish from Boone. Like he didn't seem like he was taking it seriously. Maybe that's why he died. Um, but it was a bit too over the top for me. Like the way he's like kind of like swaying and like peacocking. Um, I don't know. Is that just me? Everybody else seems to have loved it. Uh, I thought it was fine. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think it was the, the the greatest standoff in the show's history, nor maybe probably the best standoff they could have had for that character. But I think that the way. Um, I th- I think it's really just about the hats. <laughs> it's really it's all about the hats and the way that um, that shootout uh, denotes the end of of Raylan one point finally, um, and uh, along with his with his hat, um, and and the fact that we know he likes Boone's hat and he took it. Um, also, a uh, quick behind the scenes thing which I loved. Um, Tim Oliphant actually he was the one who commissioned the cre- the, the the making of that hat. Um, like the, 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 how do you, how do you put building a hat? The millinery? The millinery, yes. Uh, who, anyway, who commissioned the, the hat. So it was the one prop that he took home when the series was over. Was Mm -hmm. not, not the, not the Raylan hat, but the Boone hat. I thought that was interesting. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, to me, everything with them is, it comes down to the hats and what the hats mean. And you could get thousands of words in on what the hats mean. That's why you go for the body shot. You don't go for the head shot. Too easy to miss. But they could be wearing Kevlar. That's true. That's a chance you take. And and I bet uh, I bet Boone wishes he had been wearing Kevlar. Yes, yes, he does. But he didn't see the Kevlar type, did he? No, he did not. Anyways, uh, any final thoughts on Justified here? Just this finale? Just this season? I would say that I didn't like the season quite as much as most other people seem to. People mm-hmm. loved the season. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, certainly a lot better than last season. There's no disputing that. Um, and I will. we will have more thoughts when we do our, our DVD shelf very soon with, with uh, a guest we're very stoked for. Uh, I will just add that I don't know if this is one of the great finales, um, but it's a very, 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 very good finale. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Certainly, I'm so glad they opted for this in retrospect over 
over a bullet fill style blood blood and guns fest. Yeah, it, this is you know this is something other people have been talking about, and you know Gremios has been talking about this as well. This is a finale that is indicative of the way Raylan has matured over the course of the series, and I think that's that that awareness of the character from the writers and what that means if if Raylan kills Boyd or if Raylan doesn't kill Boyd. I think that. Uh, other shows could benefit from yeah. that that perspective. And, and I would just quickly add, this was not a low-stakes series finale. I don't think, like, a, a, a just-okay or a wonky finale could have really, I think, sullied the reputation of the season and even the series. So the fact that they mostly nailed it, um, and it was not an easy finale to nail at all. Mm -hmm. uh, it felt very worked over and finessed in a good way. Um, and that really is a testament to how this has always been a writer's show. Um, along with it also always being an actor's show. Um, and it, it will be missed dearly, but we'll, we'll talk more about that soon. Um, we went way long talking about Justified's finale, so we're going to keep the Americans short. I'm going to try to, Simon, you can try to as well. I okay. predict you'll I'll be more best. successful than I will, because I am, uh, Abyssin Zidran, holy crap, guys, that last scene. Like, there's lots to talk about in this episode, but for me... The, the scene of Clark taking off his wig and showing uh, showing Martha Philip. Uh, I, I don't know if he's showing her Philip or just or his you know Misha right. Uh, yeah, was breathtaking, and I am still uh, affected by it. It's one of the moments of the year for me so far, and it's we talked about this off off mic. It's. For me, it is a astoundingly intimate moment, and I love how this show, this season, takes pulling a tooth or taking off a wig and makes it the most personal, trusting, and uh, and again, an intimate moment you could possibly have. Yeah, and th there's even there's there's something transgressive about the scene too. Um, just in like we seeing uh this this you know straight male character uh take apart his very this very constructed um visual presentation that he has of himself that we're not used to having uh to having uh someone like that have and see seeing them sort of take it apart in front of uh in front of a significant other whether it's you know whether she counts as a significant other mm -hmm. or not which I think she does. Um, that's not a scene with a precedent. Again, we, we talked about that with, with Paige and how they handled her taking the news. And I, I, I continue to love that she just, she just comes into the bedroom with questions now and again. It's <laughs> like, what about this and that and that? And then the way that, that Phil talked to her about it is wonderful. Um, but, uh, th this is not th the scene of him taking off his wig. Uh, it has so many steps. It's just, it's such a long shot of just him, like clip, 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 clip. Just seeing how intricate a process it is uh, of, of him becoming uh, Clark for her. Uh, it's almost to say like, I do this all for you. Um, and uh, and it, giving her a sense of understanding of what, of what it takes uh, to, to, to perform that for her every day or every other day, when, whenever she, he, he shows up. So it's it, it it's there's so many notes in those in those ninety seconds or so of of uh, like you said intimacy of performance 
of uh of social of, of social norms uh that I, I i think i would need to watch it another 20 times to really parse it but you're right it's it's just as a as a as a sheer gut emotional reaction there hasn't been anything like it this year i don't think and we should anytime you talk about a wig taking off scene like this a powerful you you got to mention how to get away with murder and what they did last year a similar you know at least a powerful emotional taking off a wig moment um that was meaningful to a lot of people uh so it been mentioned but again we're running short on time so back to the americans um yeah because it's also um i mean Alison wright is fantastic in, in that scene just reacting to this wordless just the tears like you know this is combination of disbelief and betrayal and understanding what this means that you know is this mean that she's seen him now is he gonna kill her or is this that she he's taking everything away and stripping himself bare and hoping she will accept him like there's so much there and you can see all of it in their performances and like you say the process of it the time of it the fact that this episode gives like two three minutes to this and the the build of tension throughout the episode and really in that scene never lets up for a moment mm-hmm. uh, and it also reinforces that this has really felt like philip season to me like uh we, we've mm-hmm. had there's always there's you know carrie russell's always great um and elizabeth has always gotten a lot to do and they've got great stuff together but it's really been the philip stuff that's just broken your heart the most and uh I'll just end by saying I have no idea how next week is the last episode because we haven't had Kitty in several weeks. Uh, they need to wrap up the stuff with Noah Emmerich. They need to wrap up the stuff with Martha, obviously. Uh, we, there's going to be Nina? obviously some st- uh, yeah Nina, who we haven't seen in, in a little in a little bit. Uh, there's so much that needs to happen in that episode, and I have no idea how they're going to cram it into like 45 minutes or whatever. Yeah, no clue, no clue. But I'm going to leave it there because we're running long. So, any final thoughts on the Americans, or shall we dive in with Mad Men? Uh, let's do that. Okay, so our last episode of the week is Mad Men: The Forecast, and you know we had a ridiculous, we had a a very strong justified finale and a very powerful The Americans. How did Mad Men shape up for you? Is it is it a three horse race or two horse race for best in drama? I have to say this was a really fun one to watch. Uh, to, to I didn't watch it live uh, with people, but that to watch it and then go back and watch the live tweet reactions mm-hmm. was extremely amusing. Um, especially, I think it was Ryan McGee uh, when he was talking about the 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 climactic uh, Glenn and Betty scene, uh, and wrote something to the effect of, "Oh my God, do I want this? Do I? <laughs> no, I don't know." <laughs> Which. Which I think is the appropriate reaction to just how strange and uncomfortable. And of course, that was also followed up by people posting screen caps of season one, Glenn. Mm-hmm. And yeah. remembering. Uh, anyway. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Oh, uh, I also I... loved all the, the love for Sally's side eye during the dinner. See, there, there was many a gif and it was delightful. So, yes, thank you, Twitter. Yeah, Kieran Shipka was fierce in this episode, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's not the last we're going to see of Sally, but uh, if it is, I think it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was that was a good send off for the character. While I was watching this episode, I kept thinking about um, a couple of weeks ago. I watched uh, HBO's four-hour Frank Sinatra documentary, uh, All or Nothing at All, and there is a part of the of the documentary where where they're talking about. Um, 
Sinatra's uh, political conversion from uh, you know being an, the guy who helped get Kennedy elected in somewhat crooked fashion uh, to being a Reagan supporter. And at a certain point, he just he just loses touch with the zeitgeist. And um, I think that there's there's an element of that to Don in this episode where suddenly he just doesn't seem to be able to conjure the words that connect to people anymore. And that happens time and time again in this episode. It happens with his uh, with his real estate agent. It really happens with um, with Peggy and it happens with his uh, with his employee as well. Uh, who he ends up having to sack. Um, admittedly, totally Mathis's fault, but still, uh, he probably could have handled it better. Uh, that that was the aspect of the episode that I found most interesting. Yeah, there, there's an L. You know, he's been growing more and more out of touch over the you know over the course of the series. Um, certainly at this point, because I mean, one of the delightful things about reading Tom Lorenzo's Mad Style is where they talk about you know the scenes we're getting with with uh, Roger and with Don to our eyes. Roger looks ridiculous and Don still looks great. Um, but to the eyes of anybody at that time period, Don is out of touch, really uh, dated and uh, completely doesn't get it. Whereas Roger is very modern and, you know, like even just down to his look, let alone his sensibilities. And so to, to really see Don getting increasingly out of touch and his, his shtick is working on fewer and fewer people as the season progresses. Um, I think it's been a nice thread for this season for this, you know, conclusion i guess of of mad men with uh sally i think that's such a great note for her of like no i'm sorry <laughs> you're good you're like your mom and i nothing you can do about it you're stuck with us yeah um and hopefully we see her and i, I like that he wants her to be more he wants her to be a peggy and not a betty and um We'll see what happens with that, it, or if if we see what happens with it. What what did you think about uh, Glenn? You know, enlisting. I thought that was a a smart way to bring Vietnam back in. Uh, it was definitely a smart way to bring Glenn back. And man, what must the Weiner household be like? <laughs> They're like, <laughs> okay, son, this is your plot line for the final season. <laughs> uh, you're gonna try to make out with Betty, and then we're gonna send you off probably to die. Um, all right. Yay. All right, Dad. Pass the potatoes. Um, that that stuff was good, um, uh, and 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 incredibly uncomfortable, and uncomfortable in a way that I think works for the character and and the actor. Uh, I'm putting actor in scare quotes because, uh, frankly, the young whiner has never struck me as being the most uh, the most elaborate thespian, but he does have a certain weird like non actor screen presence, if that makes sense. That uh that sort of that befits the character and 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 makes all sorts of like weird energy when he's surrounded by seasoned actors that I really appreciate and that I kind of wish other shows would try to do once in a while um let's see what else of course we got a lot with Joan and Bruce Greenwood in mm -hmm. this episode uh unfortunately I was spoiled on the fact that he was in this episode but still pretty cool uh that mind you just the way he kind of blows up in the hotel room about like I don't want kids uh makes me distrust him pretty much forever <laughs> fair enough um i really i just i love the way that she just dresses him down when he comes to give her flowers She's like oh yes i th i th you i thought i sh you're right i should choose between you and my son and i'm gonna choose you it's just it's like yeah lay it out lay it on because he deserves it um that was that was very good um and just <laughs> bruce green i know that you like went out with her twice but 
you do not get to make Joni feel that bad. I was I was like crushed by how bad she felt uh, when he mm-hmm. was a jerk. I was like, no, our Joni has had a hard enough time. She's a millionaire now. She's supposed to only have good things happen. <laughs> Don't you do this to her? Yeah, um, it, I, I'm I'm skeptical of the idea that this is. If, if this was episode six of the last seven, I would assume this is her happy ending. But there's too many episodes left, so I'm like, oh, what other bad things can happen to Joan? Well, uh, yeah, and just having her meet someone who com- respects her desire to work and, you know, and is a, a person who had a very full career, it seems like, uh, himself is uh, is interesting. I Maybe it's just me. I just would like to see her find someone her own age. Um, that's, I feel like she deserves that after Roger and then, you know, the terrible, her terrible abusive rapist husband. Um, I just want to see her find someone that she can spend the rest of her life with, you know, but, uh, well, you never know what the rest of your life is. That's true. That's true. Um, the other running thread of the episode that I thought was really, uh, fascinating was Don realizing that he spent his life in advertising <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and just trying to find, trying to find validation in other people for, for what it is they do. And like, I, I think after a life of convincing people that things are what aren't what they are or are what they aren't, um, it does a number on you. And so it's trying to find validation from Ted or from Peggy about like, what, like, what was it all for? And then, uh, getting a very depressing response from Ted and then just <laughs> pissing the hell off of Peggy. Um, I, those scenes were great. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I, I like that fewer and fewer people are taking his, uh, taking his crap. So like when Peggy just walks out of the office, I was like, yeah, you go. And he, but Absolutely. he doesn't even, what I like about that scene is he's, he doesn't mean to be, a, he doesn't mean yeah. to be a jerk. And, yeah. and he, he's not actually saying anything overtly dickish, mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, but if you, if you, if he was to think about her context for even a minute, he would realize mm-hmm. it was the utter wrong thing to say. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so far, it's not on par to, to top the last half season, but you know, who knows? Things usually take a little bit to gear up with Mad Men, so hopefully it'll be a last four episodes that are just one after another greatness. Any final thoughts? No, I think that I, I agree with you about the, the quality level is not quite what it was last year, but I, I remain hopeful. Yeah. Uh, well, what was your week in drama then? Oh, I got to give it to Justified. Series finales are a bitch, and that was a really good one. Yeah, um, I would give it to just the last scene of The Americans. Um, but instead you're right. It's a season finale. I'm sure we'll love the season finale of, of Americans next week. So let's give it to justified. Um, yeah, let's justified. Um, a few show notes, you can find a post up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us the televerse at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can uh, find us on iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And, uh, we would appreciate any, uh, ratings or reviews. It does help other people find the show. You can also, uh, follow us on, tw- on Twitter. I'm at the televerse and you are at sucker Howell. And what is our question of the week? Uh, as we mentioned, it is April Geddon. April Mageddon? Is it April Geddon or April Mageddon? I'm or doing April Apocalypse. I'm doing April Geddon because, like, the same number of syllables. Right. I'm just curious what it is that people uh, desperately want to have had time to catch up with and just still haven't because TV is ridiculous right now. Okay. Um, 
I still have not finished. I'm supposed to have watched My Bad Fat Diary by now, and I still haven't. So I'll say that one. That's not current, though. Um, the the one I'll say that's going on right now that I feel bad that I've fallen behind on is actually Blackish, because I do really enjoy that show. Um, so with with Fresh Off the Boat finishing up this next week, maybe I'll have a little more sitcom time for myself. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's what I'll go with. How about you? You know we're two seasons behind on Moon Boy, right? I'm not two seasons behind. I watched all of season two. Oh, I'm a season behind. Yeah, I talked okay. about it on the podcast. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Anyway, I'm two seasons behind on Moon Boy, which is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well, let us know what you guys most uh, want to catch up with once you get some time. But for now, we'll take a break and come back with Kyle Anderson of The Nerdist. And WTF, are you watching to talk Daredevil season one? When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Good and evil. Sometimes the difference between the two is a sharp line. Sometimes it's a blur. Sometimes we have to do things outside of the law. We're going to make a difference. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we are. You're blind, but you see so much. There are other ways to see. Still are left behind. I don't see the city anymore. Each breath you take is mine. There's only dark corners. I'll keep you safe, Karen. What are you going to do? Whatever it takes. Televerse. This is Kate Kulsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week it's time for another season spotlight because there's just been so much interesting and uh, and exciting content going on right now. Uh, so, so we're bringing back season spotlight for a second week in a row to talk about Daredevil season one. And joining us, returning to the podcast, is uh, a writer and editor for the Nerdist, Kyle Anderson. Kyle, welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me back. I'm happy to be here. Now, as Simon and I were discussing um, off off mic earlier this week. The, the Netflix paradigm has made certain realities of being a podcaster interesting. For example, when you want to do a segment about Daredevil, you then get to go troll through Twitter feeds to try to discover who's <laughs> actually seen it all, which can be challenging. Um, because some people, like myself, watched it all in a day. 
and some people like Simon spread it out over like a week or so, two weeks. What was your approach, Kyle? Did you did you mainline or did you kind of give yourself at least a? I mean, it only came out a few weeks ago, but like, uh, did, did you mainline it or try to stretch it out a little bit? I actually, um, I ended up stretching it out a little bit. Um, I I think I only watched the first episode on the day it came out, and I felt like I was such a troglodyte. Um, but throughout <laughs> the rest of the week, I was just kind of watching as I went. And, uh, actually as we're recording this, I just finished it yesterday. So it was very good timing when you asked me to be on the show. Cause I was like, yeah, of course I just finished it. Well, I think I had so much fun watching it. I probably would have watched all of it, uh, pretty quickly anyways, just because, you know, anybody who's listening to the televerse probably kn- already knows that Simon and I love Spartacus, which the, uh, one of the executive producers, uh, Stephen tonight, uh, of course created Spartacus. Um, but it, it, it is felt very, designed for people who were going to watch it in short succession. Um, at least that's, I, I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the I'm starting to get Netflix exhaustion because they're now releasing so many shows that I cannot possibly do what they want me to do and binge them all. And, and so I think taking a very active uh, approach to story story structure and episode, like how they break the various episodes, with that in mind make something like Daredevil a lot easier to mainline than something like Bloodline, for example. Would you agree? I, I would. I think I don't think everything needs to be released all at once. However, Netflix is kind of was the grandfather of once they started their streaming service, people just started doing that. They they it wasn't Netflix being like, you should watch everything all at once. Um, but like people were watching Buffy and the X-Files and whatever TV shows were on there just like straight through. And so I think they kind of know their audience to the point where um, they just release it all at once and they know everyone's just going to watch it. That being said, they do, they are starting to do so many shows now and they're releasing them all at once that it is impossible almost to watch everything. I do know some people who watched, who, you know, stayed up till midnight or whatever to watch Daredevil and then were done by the morning. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> some dedication that I did not possess, but, um, uh, I, I don't think, ne- I think Netflix is, is doing what it can do, I suppose. Like, Everyone's going to watch it in a different way. And I'm sure there are people who either haven't started it Daredevil yet or are going to start it in a couple of weeks or whatever and just kind of watch it as as they see fit. So um, it, it does make it difficult for people like us who try to stay up on the, you know, the zeitgeist of the whole thing when we're, you know, oh, I'm not finished with it yet, even though it just came out yesterday and you feel behind. Um, but yeah. Well, and also I've wanted to talk about certain elements of it, which is why we're doing a season spotlight, because we talked about it on the podcast after Simon had seen nine of the episodes. Uh, and there were things I wanted to talk about that I couldn't talk about yet because Simon hadn't seen them. So knowing what you can mm. discuss, what's fair game uh, for a Netflix show is particularly uh, interesting. Like The way that it's shaping mm-hmm. the conversation, um, I think it's interesting. Uh, but I realize, I'm realizing now we're getting about five minutes in. I haven't actually asked you what you thought. What did you think, Kyle? <laughs> oh, I thought it was great. Um, I really, really liked it. I was sort of surprised at how uh, grip, maybe not surprised, but how how gripping it was and kind of remained that way. And I felt like the the filmmaking aspect of it, because it is, you know, it is a very cinematic TV show, uh, didn't really feel like a, a a drama. Certainly not when you compare it to the other Marvel TV shows, which look very televisual. Um, uh, I felt like this, you know, it 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 knew what it was doing. It knew the, the format it was, it was taking so it could, um, keep everybody invested. And I was just, I just thought the storytelling was really, really, 
refreshingly adult for for a Marvel property. Um, you know, very obviously it's a very violent TV show, um, but the themes that they talk about are also, you know, um, you know, being a good man, whether or not it's it's a, a right to kill if you if if everything else is um, exhausted and and taking the law into your own hands and all those things that are so great about the Daredevil comic were actually present here. They didn't like, they didn't soften it for, um, for a television show. And I think Netflix, that's another like benefit of having Netflix. And that's why they're doing the, the ones that they're doing on Netflix because they're a little bit darker in tone. Um, but I, but until you see it, you have no idea how that actually is going to be. So, um, long story short, sorry, that rambled for a moment, but, um, uh, I thought it was really well handled and, um, and everything about, like, all the direction, I think, was superlative. Simon, we know what you think. Uh, listeners will know, I should say, what you think of the first nine. How how did the last four episodes shape your, your viewing experience? Were you glad to have seen it all, or did, did those last four live up to the first nine? Uh, <clears throat> I was not upset that I watched it um, in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> strong praise from Simon. I was not upset. Strong praise from me. <laughs> I was not upset with myself for having watched it. I... Uh, to, to return briefly to the subject of, of Netflix and their delivery system, A, uh, I don't feel like we've had quite enough Netflix uh, releases for there to be a formula yet, but I think it's starting to happen in terms of the way storytellers use that. Uh, and I think Daredevil is is a show that has an awareness of, of the release model more so than shows, I think, like Bloodline, which I personally didn't make much headway into just because it was so bloody turgid. Um, and this, this has much more momentum and, and a much better sense of pace and structure, uh, to me, even within those first couple episodes than Bloodline did in its, uh, first couple. Uh, and B, um, I wonder if we're ever going to get a Netflix release that is broken up into chunks, not obviously not one episode at a time, but maybe a part one and a part two of a season based around a particular cliffhanger, uh, to really get, uh, to really get people juiced about about the prospect of more episodes, uh, I feel like that's going to happen with with the right sort of show. They're gonna they're gonna start futzing with that model. I could be I could be you know completely inventing things, but if it happens one day, you'll get to say I called it. Anyway, um, to get back to Daredevil, the as I understand it, uh, I was reading a little bit about this. Drew Goddard was going to be the showrunner of Daredevil. And he did write the pilot, I believe, um, and was was involved to some degree for several episodes after that. Uh, he got poached to to work on some movies, and Stephen S. DeKnight uh, of of our beloved Spartacus was his replacement. And DeKnight gets uh, specific writing credits for I think episode uh, eight or eight or nine and the finale. And w what I found the most interesting about uh, Daredevil. Was if you've seen Spartacus, um, the ties between them are not obvious, and we even I even stated that I I would not have guessed that it was uh, a series from the Spartacus guy based on the first nine. But the more I think about it, uh, the more I, I think of some interesting ties between them, um, and also it makes me think about the limits of what you can do with a Marvel Enterprise. And it really there are times when you can feel the night really. Um, pushing against the walls of of the limits of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he stretches them a little bit. Um, he bends them, but he can't break them. And I do think the the finale, especially, kind of brings the show back down to earth uh, and away from um, 
away from sort of the, the loftier heights of the season to really boil it down. Um, we, we've already mentioned, uh, Denite's love for the wire and how he, he wanted this to be sort of the Marvel equivalent of the wire. The problem with that is that shows like the wire are explaining, explaining to you a, a broken system. And, um, the end of daredevil sort of has to come back from that and say, despite all those horrible things we just showed you, uh, this is ours is a world worth saving and then have our character more or less save that world. Um, which is a weird adjustment to try to make, but it's a necessary one if if we're if you're going to be dealing with with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe I'm the only one who thought that was uh, sort of an awkward readjustment, but um, yeah. So there are natural limits to my enjoyment of the show, but I do think that Denight did a lot of interesting stuff that most people would not have even attempted. Well, and we're talking a lot about Denight, uh, uh, of course, Drew Goddard, like you said, very important. Uh, creative presence here um and then uh, to to round out a, a mutant enemy trifecta doug petrie also of mutant enemy in the buffy verse one of the writers there uh was very involved as well like he he wrote episode 12 he co-wrote episode 11 with tonight he wrote at least one other episode this season so uh there's yeah episode seven he wrote stick um so there's a lot of particular voice i always enjoy seeing uh, names that I recognize from mutant enemies from Buffy and Angel and Firefly pop pop up on uh, these other shows. And, you know, sort of like when you watch the all the different fantastic shows that have sort of uh, come from just different X-Files writers, it's, there's a thread there that I enjoy um, in the development of genre TV. But for me, it's, looking at that last episode, it was a very, the, the last, just the last scene, the last sequence of the finale was a bit of an interesting experience for me because I was watching it going, this is what I'm sure at least a third, if not two thirds of the audience, or maybe even more, is has been waiting for. This is what they'll be super excited about. And the, the last shot, I'm sure, I don't know the comics at all, but I'm sure that's got to be straight out of the comics, if not some, some really famous cover from Daredevil. Um, but I just really didn't care about that. Uh, like people talking about uh, episode uh, Daredevil, a lot of people have, have really praised the ridiculous fight scene in episode two. Um, I'm going to have to turn in my geek card here because I don't remember the fight scene from episode two. <laughs> I'm sure it was really good. Um, but I'm just so much more interested in the characters than I am in the action set pieces that I think I th remember the episode, uh, the, like the conversations between Claire and uh, Matt when, you know, he's beat all the hell and she's finding out about him and, and they're finally explaining how he perceives the world. I remember the training sequence from Stick. I remember um, the, the flashbacks we get, the fabulous flashbacks we get in episode 10 with Foggy and Matt in college. Like, that's the stuff that, that really sticks out to me. So watching as we get to the end of the season, and especially in those last, like, once Matt gets his gets the suit, Daredevil gets his red suit, um, and, you know, we get that last power shot. It's, again, it was sort of, it went from being a show that I really enjoy to a show, oh, oh, that's right, this is part of the MCU, and so now we have to get the end of the MCU film ending, I guess, for, for Daredevil. Uh, so, so it just... While I really do like the show, and I was so I was so glad I spent the time with it, and I'm looking forward to season two. There's a lot here that I really love. Actually, I was I think I can say love. Um, they're they're just little. Every now and again, I'm reminded that the stuff that I care about most is probably what a lot of the the core fan base for this do not care about. What about you? For you, Kyle? Well, um, I yeah, I I feel like everything that's that it's uh, 
goes above and beyond what we maybe would have expected from a show like this is kind of in spite of it being a Marvel show. And and you're absolutely right, both of you. Like the last episode is is them returning to the status quo of now there's a hero out there and that's the end of every single Marvel movie. Um, what I what I what I like about it is that um, they actually took the time to do all this stuff that was like basically tantalizing the fan, like a whole season where he's not in his Daredevil suit is a pretty ballsy move, especially for a show like this. Um, uh, and, and and all all the character moments like come out of they're not, you know, the 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 it's not just an action driven show like I, I remember the the fight in episode two and it's pretty cool, but like you're, uh, you're right. All the, all the different character moments, like once Wilson Fisk is uh, introduced and his in, uh, interaction with Vanessa is so much more interesting and so much more um, nuanced and so, you know, tragic that you kind of go, okay. And then it's a, it's a superhero show by the end. And, and, but I really applaud them for taking the amount of time that they did and killing off characters that you wouldn't maybe not expect them to kill off or just kind of doing things in general, uh, being a little bit more, um, you know, weighty um, than than a show. And, and so maybe it does kind of fall out by the end where you go, oh, now it's just a, a superhero show. But I still think it's it did as much as it possibly could do to kind of buff or, you know, rebuff that before they actually decided, OK, now he's going to wear the red suit and have the sticks I, and jump across the rooftops. Am I the only one who thinks the black suit the original suit looks way cooler than the red suit. Uh, apparently you're not. Uh, but then again, the, the black one wasn't doing much to prevent things like getting stabbed. Well, in details. Uh, <laughs> uh, although apparently the red one won't either. I don't really get how that works. Anyway, um, the uh, when you're talking about the relationship to the MCU, one thing that I do enjoy that I'm surprised got that I'm surprised Marvel was OK with, frankly, um, is that. Daredevil really makes clear that the existence of superpowered people in the world does, if anything, it just makes things worse for the average person, which which is doesn't seem like a message that you would want out there in the MCU. But okay, like it it doesn't seem like you know if for for one thing you know much of the city gets destroyed and especially Hell's Kitchen, the neighborhood where it's set. And that just leaves a vacuum for all these horrible people to sweep in and, and gentrify the hell out of the city, which is not an issue that, you know, Iron Man cares about uh, or that the Avengers care about, but is something that, that affects the daily life of, of, you know, people in, in, a, in a given city um, in, in, a, in, an, in an adverse way. So there's something kind of subversive about that that the show never really explores. Um, and I guess maybe it, it shouldn't. It's, it's, it should be there as subtext, but... That's the sort of thing that I'm glad the show smuggled in uh, and apparently was able to get away with. Well, and I also really like for me, I because Avengers, because, of course, that's the incident. They're talking about the big giant fight in, at the end of Avengers uh, that destroys Spoilers. New York. Um, <laughs> but um, because that that film is so much more concerned with the average citizen than most of those superhero movies because we actually see people leaving buildings and in peril. And if a building gets exploded, all the people in it are going to die, which is not how most of them treat cities. Um, I don't actually connect that in the same way. Instead, I just, the, 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 this, all this rebuilding that needs to happen just makes me think of something like uh, man of steel. And I just imagine Wilson, Wilson Fisk just watching 
the events of Man of Steel and just like cackling to himself. Well, he wouldn't cackle, but internally, you know, it's like, oh, yes, please keep destroying giant buildings because now I will rule the city in the rebuilding. So to, to for me, there was like an extra meta level of my hatred of these senseless, uh, the senseless destruction that seems to come up at the end of so many of these superhero movies. And I think part of what you were talking about is, you know, mentioning the superpower people kind of just kind of having throwaway lines about oh, the guy with the hammer or something like that, um, but not really focusing on that, I think is is really part of the success of the show, because I don't think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has ever been able to get around that. Every every episode you watch is just what are these people doing while the Avengers are off doing something else? It's always, you know, and I remember in the first season, they even had to clean up after the events of Thor two, like they could not escape and they still can't escape all the superpoweredness of it. But I love that daredevil was just, this is a street, you know, he has superpowers, but, but like they could almost be explained away by, you know, he's just, you know, it's, it's a mild superpower. It's a, it's a kind of a heightened thing that anybody could do if they really practiced kind of. And, um, and it was and it is like this is my, you know, Hell's Kitchen is not big. It is not a big area. So like to focus that much on that, you know, f- you know, however many stretch of blocks is uh, and about the people and about uh, kind of a war happening in that small a scale, I think is really refreshing and have it be, you know, uh, Wilson Fisk, too. I mean, he's just a big, huge guy who's really hard to kill. Like that could be a super power. But I mean, it's basically just, just a big guy with money, too. So. Um, I, I like that they were they actually got outside of their own cinematic universe a little bit. And 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 it was it's other than just kind of a couple snatches here and there, you might just forget that it was even part of the same universe. And I and I like that. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we run out of time here, I want to make sure we spend some spend some of our remaining time talking about these characters, uh, because and I'm not going to start with the place where I'm sure our listeners are expecting. I'm going to start with Rosario Dawson and how criminally underused she is because I love that character in this. I thought she was so great. And I like the, uh, the perspective she provides when they manage to bring together her work at the hospital with the other larger events. I think that works really well at the, about the midway point of the season. Um, and I, I also like, I guess that they don't have her just constantly showing up to just, you know, fix things and like give him, give uh, Matt an injection of something and then he'll be fine again. So I like that they don't use her in that capacity, but it's very bizarre to me that she is so underused in these episodes. There had to have been uh, a scheduling or a budget thing. There's to me, that's the only explanation because uh, either that or they were really, there's some sort of larger design involving her, um, because I anyway, I don't know how much I want to mention about this because potential future spoilers or something. But I, I'm under the impression that she may or may not manifest as another character later um, or evolve into something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if, if they if they wanted to not have her in it too much at risk and, and sort of get into that arc of it. I don't know. Uh, but it is definitely weird. I was expecting her to be a, a major part of the entire season. Well, and she's really good. The, the the dynamic between the Claire, but not even just the 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 chemistry between Dawson and Cox is really good. They're they're really good together. At least I think so. Kyle, what do you think about that character? Yeah, I agree. I liked her quite a bit, and and she's the kind of character and and Rosario Dawson and being a guest star in that way. Although she does get you know opening credits billing when she's in episodes, but um, you'd think that that would be a character who is in maybe one or two episodes 
but then she's in more episodes, but then not enough episodes for it to be for her to be like uh, considered a, a regular major cast member. And there's that one episode and I forget which one it is. Oh, it's the it's uh, Murdoch versus Nelson or Nelson versus Murdoch, whatever it's called. And uh, uh, where he mentions Foggy mentions that she came in and fixed him up and then left. And that's like, you may as well not have even said that she was there because that just makes me <laughs> yeah. think the whole episode like, well, why isn't Rosario Dawson in this episode? That would have been a nice scene between her and Foggy. But um, yeah, I totally agree. Like, and then she shows up at the end or penultimate or whatever it was and then is gone. And you know that she has to come back because, you know, she didn't do enough. You know what I mean? She did some great stuff early on, but like there was no real finale to her, her character. So I, I think I'm kind of with you, Simon. I think she's got to come back in some fashion and probably in a more more uh substantial fashion when she does return uh, i will just add that i never thought i was going to get back the feeling of oh here's rosario dawson i really enjoy hanging out with her after seeing trance i thought that movie destroyed <laughs> that people who've seen it will know what i mean and i actually apparently it didn't destroy that so good that was nice to see <laughs> um what about the, some of these other characters who else would you have liked to have seen more of well, I was sort of surprised. I mean, how spoilery are we getting? Those? We're getting full spoilers. Full Any, spoiler. Anybody who doesn't want to be spoiled about something that happens in season one of Daredevil, stop listening. I was shocked and kind of, and not kind of sad. I was very sad when Ben Yurick got killed. I, I really loved that character. I thought Vonnie Curtis Hall was super good and had just the right amount of like grizzled, you know, tough guy. And Ben Yurick is a character from the comics. I don't know the character or the comics all that well, but he's, a, you know, a staple of the comics and has been for a while and then to kill him off. And it's a great, I mean, it's a great scene and it's a great kind of necessary sacrifice if you're going all Campbell on it. But like, um, I thought he was great and I was really sad when he, when he died, I, I wanted even more of him to, to be a jerk for a moment here. It was pretty fun to watch the tweets come in as people caught more and more of daredevil because there was a certain point, as people marathoned uh, the series or just watched it over the course of several weeks where you'd start seeing when, like when comics fans or when fans of the series got to a certain episode, they'd be like, Oh man, they should totally have, uh, have Ben show up um, in the next, in the Spider-Man movie. He can be a fellow journalist. And I'm like, so like, Oh, Oh, just wait, just wait. Pro <laughs> gentle viewers, two more episodes. Mm -hmm. Simon, how about you? Who who did you want to spend more time with? Just to, to briefly chime in on on Yurik, I re I really like the performance and uh, I I I enjoyed watching uh, him and Deborah Ann Wall in their corner of the show. But I have to say uh, that Yurik never really was more than uh, a type to me. He was very much the the dogged old school reporter who scoffs at scoffs at new media, uh, which was by by the way terrible timing considering Gawker's unionizing. But um, the uh, I guess like there was there were some little bits of individualization here and there with his character, but I wasn't that sad to see him go, if only because I felt like we'd already gotten all all the possible emotional beats with him we were going to get. Interesting. I liked Ben. I thought he uh, I thought he had a good rapport with different uh, characters. I liked the way that they brought him in to the show and incorporated with him with some, but not with others. I kept waiting for to get more Ben and Daredevil or Ben and Matt scenes, and we didn't get that many of them. Um, so I liked that they didn't just continue to go to that well of Daredevil goes and tells his one journalist friend or his one cop friend um, all the information, and then they, you know, I liked that it was more um, 
they're the, the characters kind of some of them were off in their own shows in a way that normally would frustrate me but here i thought really worked and a big part of that is the um the the karen and foggy show and a lot of that again a lot of that really worked for me i like that you know if you're if you're a guy who spends all of his evenings you know fighting crime you don't get to spend any time with your friends and i like that they actually show that mm-hmm yeah, um, and to 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 get back to Foggy and Karen as as characters and as like a couple, if you want to put it that way, I, what I found interesting was the the lack of definition that their relationship had. Like, it seems at a certain point in the season, it seems like they're going to be a full on thing, but then so much happens uh, to them and around them that it just sort of gets lost, seemingly on purpose. And then Foggy's ex comes back, who, when she is first introduced, is a terrible character. I just have to say, and I was so glad, so glad that they that they make clear that they're not just going to have her be this this like blonde harpy. Um, that was that was really great. That was one of my favorite things about the last couple episodes, actually. Um, and then by the end of the season, it's just they're just friends, or it's it's very undef- it, it it feels undefined in a in a real way, which I, I was actually quite appreciative of yeah they didn't have a falling out where she's like i just don't feel that way about you or whatever could have happened they just are you know they spend all their time together and so much stuff happens that it's just kind of like well <laughs> the timing is gone uh, and so they just kind of move on I, I i agree i really like that i i was worried that they were gonna like well daredevil's off doing his daredevil thing and then we get this weird romantic comedy um and it was for a couple episodes but it didn't last too long and it didn't overstay its welcome and obviously she is much more troubled than we even know so um she probably wouldn't have (laughs) it wouldn't have lasted long even if they had done anything and he hooks up with his ex and no one cares yeah no one yeah she's not upset about it at all yeah well and again with um with that chunk of the show it's just uh, when when we get Nelson v. Murdoch Murdoch and the and Foggy and Matt are you know really on the outs, I like how long they stretch that out for, and I like how much it just screws over Karen because she doesn't have any other friends. Any other friends she has are dead, or you know have been paid <laughs> off to not talk to her. I mean, and so I like that we really do see that have consequences for these other people in their lives. Um, and then we get more Karen and Ben because of that. But if we're going to talk about Karen, um, I do think it's a really solid performance by Deborah Ann Wall. I, I've really enjoyed her for years and um, over on True Blood and also just in seeing her at Comic-Con on different panels and things. She's a very uh, she seems to be a very intelligent woman. So I always like, uh, you know, seeing her pop up places. I think she's very good here. Uh, the the turn we get for her is uh, is delightful. As far as I'm concerned, it's it's it completely surprised me. I didn't see it coming at all. Um, and then as soon as it happens, I felt like an idiot for not predicting it, because first we get um, Daredevil saves her in the pilot and then Foggy saves her. And then the rule of three, the third time she in the most desperate situation, theoretically, she saves herself and does it in spectacular fashion. That episode 11 to episode 12 turn really worked for me. How about you guys? That, I mean, the, the, the killing off of Wesley was extremely surprising to me, if only because that character had gotten so much screen time, um, like, more than many other characters, and yet had never, we'd never understood his inner life at all. We didn't know why, uh, why he was, he, he'd pledged such fealty to Daredevil other than the money, uh, presumably the, the, the excellent, excellent money, um, you would hope. 
but um so then when he gets plugged it's just like oh all right i guess we don't because it's it seems at first like maybe they're gonna have him be one of the conspirators against uh against um fisk then he's just not then he's just dead all right so i don't know how much of that misdirection was purposeful uh or not but either way it worked and i also like that nobody none of the nobody actually nobody finds out that she's the one who killed uh i mean uh fisk assumes it that ben was somehow involved just because he he knows that ben was the one who went and saw his mother but um you know for a while they're just like well who was it, it must have been uh, you know, could have been the chinese or it could have been you know any number of people and uh and so she she's like terrified for the rest of the series that fisk is going to find out that she did uh you know shot wesley and no one ever finds out she never tells anybody. I was expecting the moment too, where like, um, either you know Matt tells her his secret and she tells him her secret, and then nope, <laughs> it's completely <laughs> everything's fine. But by the end, it's all it's all back to normal. I mean, I'm sure that'll come up next year. But um, but she even says like, "Do you think this is the first time I've held a gun or shot somebody or whatever?" She says, and you're like, "I I have no idea. <laughs> I think you very well may have done that." Yeah. Well, and again, it's because people who have held a gun or had to shoot somebody does they don't all walk around with a little sign over their head that says you know spoiler alert look what's coming you know like yeah murderer. I, yeah exactly and so when she says i'm like uh yes i did think that apparently i was wrong and i'm so glad to be wrong i already mentioned the flashbacks we got uh for foggy and matt i think that that relationship is so effective and this is something that i've wanted to see in other shows the the flashbacks especially in Nelson V. Murdoch, I think are so well done. I absolutely believe these characters as younger, and I totally believe their friendship and their relationship over this span of time. I was so glad that they decided to use that and really incorporate that. It it made the gut punch of their their falling out way more effective. It's such an obvious, easy choice to make, but I'm glad that they actually did it, unlike, I think, every other superhero show I can think of. I also like how much power drinking they do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah they, man this is a drinky show isn't it um I, I like how um how hurt foggy is by finding out the truth and he i mean it is a betrayal and he doesn't just let it go in an episode like it's there's ramifications for the rest of the series and they even say like um he, you know like a, what i wouldn't give to have it be back to the way it was and and matt be like well i, I don't think it can be but this could be a new start or we, we can make it better now whatever it is he says i'm real bad at remembering lines um <laughs> uh but uh, i i just i like that i mean foggy didn't just go oh okay i mean if and you guys watch arrow at all mm-hmm. um there's earlier this season there were a lot of people finding out truths about things and everyone was okay about it <laughs> with yeah. the exception of captain lance every single person was like yeah great mm-hmm. oh so you you killed my sister in a, in a trance i'm fine with it yeah um <laughs> But I, yeah, I like that they actually allowed Foggy to be upset and continue to be upset and have that really tear up both of their, you know, just the two of them together and then the three of them at the at at the firm, as it were. Well, and again, it's not just like you have this secret you didn't tell me. It's also you've al- you've let me think that I was getting stuff past you at various times. Like every time I've lied, you've known and you didn't say anything. Every time that this is had, like, and it's also just philosophically, you're a lawyer. We're both, we're defense attorneys. We believe in the law. So I like that they don't just leave it to, oh, you're lying to me. But they really examine a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. 
Can I, can I just really quickly nitpick, though, and say that my least favorite bit of, of wacky pseudoscience on this show is your heart is speeding up because you're lying. Okay, anyone who has ever lied before knows that that's not how it happens. If you're if you're any good at lying, your heartbeat will will be fine. Anyway, that that always just just nagged at me. They saw they do lie detector tests. Yeah, well, lie detector tests also aren't that great. Well, as whether or not admissible, but no, I mean there is a physiological response for most people. It wouldn't work for sociopaths, though. There are certain gr- groups of people that it, it just wouldn't work for. Um, yeah. We'll see if that ever comes up. I don't know. Um, should we talk about Fisk? Or should we, we haven't really talked about Murdoch. Do we want to talk about any of these other main characters or performances? My my only thing that I want to that I want to say about Fisk is that having seen the Daredevil movie, <laughs> um, I think that one thing that movie had going for it was Michael Clark Duncan and his ridiculous the physicality he brought to that role and just his his overall hugeness. Um, and then to have D'Onofrio do it, like, he's a big guy, but not an exceptionally big guy. He's, you know, they, they do stuff with framing and blocking and wardrobe to, to make him bigger, I think, or to appear bigger. Um, I think what he brings is a level of neuroses and vulnerability, uh, and it's partially in the design of the character, but it's there in the performance, too, uh, that is unheard of, I think, in, in the MCU so far, and... Uh, and again, it, it bristles up against the, the MCU requires villains to function. They need villains who think evil thoughts and do evil things. Um, so when you, again, when you get to that finale and he has that, and he has that moment uh, akin to Mitchell and Webb, oh, I'm the baddie. Um, and more or less says that out loud. Uh, again, I didn't really buy that and it, it's, it didn't sit well with me compared to what we'd seen before. But I think he uh, he does a lot with the character that I was not expecting. And I just love the way they brought it all around. You know, he buys the painting and we know that he likes it for some reason. And then we see the flashback and we know that he equates it to the wall in his in, in his house and all the horrible things that happen with that. And then it ends with him in the cell and he can look at that wall. And it's just like, all right, that that was good. <laughs> like, he likes looking at really bleak, stuccoy looking walls. Well, yeah, and to to introduce that painting and have him say, because, you know, I think it looks nice. You know, I don't know I'd pay the ridiculous sum that he clearly does for it. But I like that they just, the way that they tease that arc of it makes me feel alone. Um, or, you, make, you know, his description of, of how it makes him feel is not necessarily what, at least I would have gone to first. And so mm-hmm. to just kind of, again, it's very clear, there's very clear arcing. Um, for the for this show, for these different characters, and even just with Foggy's ex, again the same way. Like after you've seen where they they go, it you look back on her first appearance, you're like, okay, I, that's why they did it that way. They they wanted us to respond very strongly to that character in that way, so that when she came back, we'd be surprised. And so I like you know again, there's so much, there's a lot of craft that I'm seeing in the the arcing of of these characters over the course of the of, over the course of the season. Um, you mentioned Simon. The thought that uh, eventually Netflix may, uh, you know, with the right show, it'd be interesting to see them do like two mini releases as opposed to a season long release of some of these shows. Do you guys feel like uh, this would have been a good pick for that? Because the, you know, the end of the the standoff with the was it the the Russians mm-hmm. uh, when when Daredevil escapes out, you know, by himself. That I feel that really felt like a mid season finale to me. 
Yeah, I agree. It did feel like that. And it, it I mean, the, the episode right after that is stick, isn't it? So like it that it feels like a breaking point. Like there's this now we're going to have a flashback episode to kind of give you a breather. Um, and I feel like uh, that episode was a good it was a good bridge between the first half and the second half. Um, without that episode, I mean, it's good an episode as it is. If we didn't have that episode, then then yeah, I would I would definitely say that would be a good uh, candidate for half seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I could keep talking about certain elements of this show for quite a while longer, but we are out of time, so I'm going to instead ask you guys for your favorite moment uh, or two for from mm-hmm. the the run and any final thoughts. So who wants to go first? Simon, go first. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I think that in just in terms of stuff that made me remember, oh, yeah, this is the Spartacus guy um, in terms of in terms of tonight's involvement. Uh, I would say uh, Karen's shooting and. Uh, and the and and the uh, I think it's episode eight is the uh, the Kingpin flashback episode. Uh, those were the highlights to me in terms of how despairing they were willing to get uh, in support of our villain uh, and how much they were willing to make him a character of sympathy, even if I never thought they got specific enough about um, why he wanted to, quote, fix Hell's Kitchen, uh, why he was so uh, invested in it as a place. Uh, that really never made sense to me. Um, so I'm, I'll be curious to see what they do with his motivations next season, uh, if they do anything with his motivations next season. And uh, it was the the willingness to really uh, not just humanize, but uh, sort of turn that character into a walking open wound uh, that that most reminded me of Spartacus and the way it uh, it it did that with some of its most theoretically despicable characters. Um, I I think um, I mean, there's a lot of great moments in it. I really liked episode um, Episode whatever nine, speak of the devil, um, which is it begins and ends with his fight with Nobu, um, and we see just I mean it starts with him being we know how how beat up he is I mean he gets a a grappling hook or whatever that thing is called under the ribs like in the beginning so we know yeah he's he's real beat up and then we kind of go back and see how he got to that point and we just see a, a character get so desperate I like that they allowed him to get to the point where he was gonna go into this warehouse and just kill the uh fisk he was just gonna do it and then the fact that he got so beat up by a totally different person that he didn't even expect and then he got beaten up by fisk too and had to jump out a window like i feel like that was that was a real low point for for matt even even more so than being condemned as a criminal like he this was him you know emotionally at at the lowest point and and he didn't do what he was what he set out to do and he's not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And then that of course leads to all those great scenes with the, the priest that I really like too. But I, I like that episode a lot for just being like, you know, we, we, it's only up from here, hopefully. Yeah. Um, you guys mentioned some, some great moments. Um, yeah, I have to, I have to co-sign, I think Simon with, with the, the shooting from, from Karen and the way that that turns the season. Um, and, and, looking at other episodes episodes i mean there 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 are several here that i really did uh connect with and really did enjoy i don't know that i needed so much time with the with the russians um but 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 the structure of the season for me really does work and like there are certain points 
like nine is as a significant point 10 is a significant point for me five is a significant point that uh, allow each of these different arcs to build in a way that that um, and, and come come to a head and then you can back off from them and then they come back the flow I guess of the season is one of the things that I most enjoyed about it and made it you know something that I could watch in a day without you know wanting to stab out my eyes <laughs> which might have <laughs> happened if I had watched more bloodline um, I feel like we're being pretty harsh on bloodline but anyways <laughs> um, it's all right uh, damn it yeah it's fine it's just fine good performances it's just fine. Um, the last thing I'll mention here is we've talked about some of the writers. I also wanted to, to mention some of the directors because uh, I enjoyed seeing the Mutant Enemy writers come, pop up. I also enjoyed seeing some of the Doctor Who names uh, mm -hmm. pop up from amongst the directors. So Euros Lynn and Farron Blackburn. And there are, there are a number of familiar names for me amongst the directors as well. And I do think it's a very... Uh, very well directed show. Even just like the, the the we haven't talked about the fights at all, really, but the the energy of them and the the sound design of those punches and the fact that you know Matt looks like crap the next day and he, for several days he's got bruises and things. It's nowhere near what it should be, but at least it's lip service paid to something that most shows would just have like those two little strips of white, you know, on a cut. For like, mm. you know, at the perfect angle to highlight the cheekbone, you know. <laughs> um, so, so I like that these characters when they get beat up, they really do look like crap for for quite a while. And I guess the final thought I'll have is, I hope next year we get more lawyering. One of the most interesting things for me about Matt Murdock as a character, and again, I say it's not knowing the comics, but is the fact that he's a lawyer and apparently a damn good one as I understand. So it would be nice to actually see him in action and, and to see he and Foggy in action in the courtroom more frequently. I think that would be, that would be fun. I, I'm just imagining like, uh, Murdoch kind of pulling a bit of a, um, Lewis Canning from the good wife, uh, with, with his, uh, lack of vision. I could see him doing a few, you know, pulling some shenanigans mm -hmm. that way. That could be rather entertaining, uh, for me, but that is where I will lead uh, leave off my thoughts on, on Daredevil season, season one. Quick last, last thing. Can we get like 12 fewer scenes next season of Matt Murdock beating the shit out of someone for information? Because that got pretty tiring for me. <laughs> well, that's how he finds that information. <laughs> I guess I guess we can just be like, uh, oh, I learned a thing. And we would go, okay, I bet you beat somebody up for it. I think we could probably connect the dots at this point. But, but again, he's, he's a lawyer. He cross-examines people for his job. You'd think you'd be able to like, question them and get information, too, without having to beat the crap out of everyone. But who knows? Anyways, we've we've gone on way too long, uh, so we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you, Kyle, so much for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, I write for Nerdist.com um, many times a week, so you can just follow that um, Twitter account, Nerdist, D-O-T-C-O-M, and I, my stuff gets tweeted out quite a bit. I am at Functional Nerd on Twitter, and I tweet out everything that I do also. Uh, I also do a podcast called WTF Are You Watching? And I do a podcast called uh, The Classic Horror Cast. And I do a podcast called Doctor Who The Writer's Room. So if you want to keep hearing my voice talking about various other things, you can uh, find those on uh, iTunes. Great. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm -hmm.